Welcome back to Composite Two Star Recruits, a USC recruiting podcast where a couple of one-star hosts talk about five, four, and three-star prospects and everything in between. I'm your one-star host, 10K Trevino, as some people like to call me. And as always, I'm joined by my podcasting partner in crime, Hurricane Martinez Gerard. It's been a it's been kind of a journey to get us to this point to be able to record on our normal Tuesday. We thought it was going to be on Wednesday. We thought it was going to be on Wednesday night. We thought it was going to be later this evening. You've had some internet issues. It's like the universe does not want us to do a podcast this week, even though this might be one of our most jam-packed podcasts in a long time. Conspiracy theory, we are playing Utah this week. <laughs> yeah, so- I- very good point. Yeah, I mean, kind of, uh, I mean, you and I are not playing Utah, but <laughs> the Trojans are playing Utah this week. And those who are veterans of the two-star composite recruiting podcast know the one week we did not do our podcast, that was the week USC went to Salt Lake and lost to Utah. It's our only blemish on our podcasting season this year. And it also happens to be the only blemish on USC's record this year. So it's easy for the fans to point the finger at us. And look, we're doing our part this week. We're doing a jam-packed episode. I don't know if we're going to be able to stay in that kind of two-hour, 20 minutes to 30 minutes kind of range. I don't know if we can promise that with so much that we have to get to. But look, we're doing a podcast. You're listening to this. If you're listening to this right now, just know you're probably on your way to Utah. There is a podcast this week. Take a deep breath. You don't have to worry about the the, the composite two-star jinx of not doing a podcast. That's all you're I'm saying. On, hopefully you're on your way to Vegas and you're not going to Utah thinking the game is at Utah. The Pac-12 championship game is now in Las Vegas. So Did I say Utah? Don't go to Utah. <laughs> is that what I said? Yeah, you said, oh. you're probably on your way to Utah right now. On my way, on I hope way not. to <laughs> see them the play right Utah is what I meant. On the way to see them play Utah is what I meant. But I will stop dilly-dallying around because, as I've mentioned several times, we have a very packed show. And if you weren't aware, USC beat Notre Dame over the weekend to complete the regular season. A big win in front of a very big stacked recruiting list of kids and prospects in the Coliseum electric atmosphere. Gerard's going to give his thoughts on that as recruiting angle. We are also going to break down specifically the key guys that were in attendance over the weekend. You know, we have some guys that are decommitted from other schools. We have a big offensive lineman prospect that committed to a rival. Uh, We have your recruiting angle. We have more of the decommitment season, as I think, as I mentioned, the college football coaching carousel that we started doing several weeks ago. Didn't really get a lot of updates on that until this week. We have four new head coaches that have been hired. One big one that's been stepped stepped down. So we have to touch on all those things. The transfer portal has been super hot the last 24 hours, Gerard, and we're not even officially when it opens but there's been a flurry of activity. There's probably guys that were missing on this list when we first updated this. But we're going to talk about some guys that have entered the portal, uh, got some high school stuff, high school football stuff. We're going to mention the college football uh, playoff ranking and kind of week 14 of college football and who's playing where and the conference championships. 
We got some questions to get to. Uh, a lot going on, Gerard. So I think we should just kind of jump into it. And before we do that, just a quick thank you to the official sponsor of the Composite Two Star Recruits podcast. That is Meredith Schlosser. If you're a veteran of this podcast, you know, you know, MS, you know, Mrs. Schlosser. She is the GOAT in Los Angeles, over $600 million in sales, over 200 five star Zillow reviews. If you think about buying or selling, call up Meredith, Meredith Schlosser and her team. That's www.meredithschlosser.com. That is S-C-H-L-O-S-S-E-R. You can check out her business Instagram at Meredith Real Estate. Can't go wrong with her team. So thank you again to the official sponsor of the Composite Two Star Recruits, Meredith Schlosser. Now, Gerard, cold open this week. Pretty simple. USC versus Notre Dame recruiting weekend. We didn't really hammer it uh last episode because as you know this is a free podcast this is for a lot of filthy casuals that listen hopefully a lot of filthy casuals uh converted to peristyle uscfootball.com subscribers with the big sale we had this week our uh black friday flash sale that was on for the whole week of thanksgiving hopefully we picked up uh some converts uh there but we kept some of that visitor stuff for our war room that comes out every Friday. And but now, now that it's happened, now that we've seen who was there, we can kind of talk about it a little bit more for this podcast. But nonetheless, maybe the most stacked weekend USC has had throughout the season. Well, no official visitors. And we do have yeah. to for the filthy casuals. And there's some that are sneaking onto the peristyle these days because they're asking some questions about. Big visitor weekend, and are we going to have any visitors? And it's listen, there are two different type of visitors. There are official visitors, and there are unofficial visitors. Official visitors get 48 hours on campus, all paid, expensive, with their parents. Unofficial visitors are just there on their own dime, and they come and go as they please. So this group was all unofficial visitors. As we reported earlier in the week, there was some thought that USC was going to bring in a handful of the committed recruits that they had who had not officially visited USC over the summer, and then maybe a few other uncommitted recruits sprinkled in. That didn't happen. It was all unofficial visitors. So for the 2023 class, really there was only one, maybe two really key uncommitted recruits, or I should say recruits that were not committed to USC that arrived at the game. Bellflower, St. John Bosco, five-star edge rusher, Mateo Ungulale, someone that we talk about weekly on this podcast. He did make it. That's a big deal. You want to get him on campus as much as possible. He was a bit aloof when we talked to him earlier in the week directly about visiting USC for the Notre Dame game. He wasn't really sure when it was. And is it this week or oh, next week? I'm not sure. I'm, I think I'm going to Georgia. So he has this visit coming to Georgia here. So we weren't necessarily sure what his plans were going to be, but we followed up with another source that said, yeah, we're going to be there. So that's big for USC. That right there is big because that's a 2023 recruit that is going to make his decision here in a few weeks. He's already taken his official visit to USC. He was one of those golden hour official visitors in June, but you just want to get as much face time with him as possible. And you see the transition of 
where Sean New has really been the primary recruiter, and he's still the primary recruiter. He's done a very good job recruiting Mateo and his family. But you also see where Lincoln Riley is getting more and more involved. And Lincoln Riley is one of the few head coaches nationally that will personally recruit some of the top prospects in each class. And we know that just from him being at Oklahoma and USC going head-to-head with several players that uh, Oklahoma was also recruiting. And maybe over the spring, kind of early on in the, the cycle, you wouldn't really hear a lot about Lincoln Riley being involved. And then all of a sudden, when it came down to crunch time, Lincoln Riley got a lot more involved in those recruitments, and it mattered in a lot of recruitments. And here uh, you see where Lincoln Riley went out of his way right after the game to take a photo with Mateo Ungulale and uh, hold up the St. John Bosco towel that he had. He actually got a smile from Ungulale, which has been something that I know a lot of Trojan fans have talked about on the Peristyle, how disinterested and how stoic he looks in all of his photos which is not just true with his photos taken at USC but a lot of other schools as well Mateo has a great poker face but he did get a good smile uh going when he took that photo with Lincoln Riley can I interject really quick can I interject because I I was down there and I just want to add some further color like there was a, a medical emergency going on down there on the field uh Shane one of Shane Lee's family members had to be helped out of the stands and Shane Lee actually helped carry them up the tunnel to the ambulance. And they weren't letting anyone go up the tunnel until the ambulance had cleared out and they had, uh, you know, secure the area. And so all the recruits that were there were kind of stuck waiting in front of the tunnel with all the media members who were waiting to get up there. So we were literally rubbing shoulders with like a bunch of recruits down there. You know, I was next to Joey Olson a couple of times. Mateo was right in front of me. I saw that picture being taken place. And I, I said to myself, because I saw Mateo, and I was like, this is the first time I've ever seen Mateo smile. And that's just in general, just not like at a at a Bosco game or a Bosco practice. <laughs> he had this huge smile on his face. I thought it was somebody else because I was like, Mateo, smiling? That is not – it's like an actor they brought in to play him or something. But, yeah, he had a grin on his face the entire time they were down there. You know, Lincoln Riley didn't go right up to to the locker room right after he stuck around. Wink, wink. Uh, hung around that that little uh, contingent of that or excuse me that big contingent of recruits that were just standing there he was right in the mix of it and that was kind of the first person he went up to big dave and mateo and you know big smiles all around uh gave mateo a really big hug gavin morris was also in there gave them a big hug and you know got that picture uh threw him the bosco uh towel to hold up there was a joke set in there I, I wasn't close enough but everyone started laughing so not really sure what the joke was but just a lot of good vibes all around and definitely yeah seeing them a tail smile that's probably the biggest scoop of the night was seeing him kind of light up and have some sort of emotion at a usc game yeah the joke was probably i'm gonna have to head down there to modern day in january and uh, mea copa for this photo um <laughs> but, uh, yeah i mean usc has done everything that they can on the field to recruit Mateo Angulé. There, there really is not much more that they can do. They've turned the program around in terms of wins. Uh, they've done a fantastic job in developing and showcasing the talents of Tuli Tui Polotu. I mean, they had Tui Tui Polotu out there jamming the big <laughs> tight end, Michael Meyer, just trying to get, you know, something going. And it shows the creativity. And we'll get into that in the recruiting angle. But they've obviously used his versatility as an athlete 
to the utmost. And that's something that obviously Mateo was probably looking at and, and likes the sound of that because he himself is a very versatile athlete. He played a lot of tight end at St. John Bosco as well as rush end. And he's always looked at himself as a skill player. So, you know, when you're using your interior defensive linemen as skill players, you're putting them on the edge, you're moving them back to linebacker, you have them out over the slot, uh, jamming an All-American tight end and Michael Mayer, that's pretty much, you know, all you could ask for in terms of utilization. So USC's done a lot, obviously, you know, NIL is, is the wild card here when we talk about those five-star type recruits. Who took the photo of Mateo? Was that Dave? Uh, Big Dave. Yeah. Yeah. So and then he promptly dropped his phone right after that. Yeah, USC has definitely done a good job recruiting Dave, and I think uh, Big Dave would 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 love to have uh, Mateo closer to home with DJ having gone to Clemson. Now there's a lot of questions about maybe DJ Ungalale transferring out of Clemson and going mm-hmm. somewhere else and being a package deal with Mateo. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I I think that could definitely be a conversation, but. You know, so many of those package deals don't work out. Even when it's brothers, sometimes it doesn't work out. And I don't necessarily know that that's a big factor uh, in his recruitment. Certainly, there are a lot of factors, and USC checks a lot of boxes. But now down the home stretch, I think you're going to see Lincoln Riley get even more involved and try to, you know, sort of make up the ground with Ohio State because that's been the school throughout the process. Really since the end of summer, we've been hearing as the main competition for Mateo Ungulale. So yeah, Mateo was definitely the biggest guy uh, in terms of prospect and trying to make an impact in his recruitment um, on campus from the 2023 class. Kind of a surprise uh, late visitor was Santa Margarita, California four-star uh, defensive end Collins Achimbong, somebody that we have not talked about very much and has not really been recruited very much by USC throughout the season. Uh, I, I don't think he was necessarily super high on their list. And the fact that, you know, he's turned around and flipped from Michigan to Miami uh, of all places, kind of like, hey, man, you're kind of going upstream here with uh, <laughs> the way things are looking in terms of who's decommitting from where and flipping to what other school. Uh, he decides he's going to go to Miami, kind of an odd, um, you know, flip there. But again, a, a player that I think coming into that visit to USC kind of questioned where he really was on the board. I mean, he's a raw, big body. He could end up being a very good player, uh, but we've seen players like that come and go uh, from those smaller schools. And a guy that hasn't really been able to play a whole lot up this season for Santa Margarita after he transferred in and hadn't played a lot of football before that. So, you know, one of those guys that there was definitely an asterisk, but, you know, it was an interesting visitor nonetheless to end up on campus. I think probably out of that 2023 class, another very important, crucial visitor was Braylon Shelby. And we talked about this during the week uh, at the podcast before the visits and before the game, that just getting him back on campus, getting him loved up again, uh, being around the coaching staff as much as he was, because he came earlier in the week and he actually got to see a practice. That's mm-hmm. just big for USC. They really need to hang on to Braylon Shelby. I think he's going to be one of the impact players of the 2023 class for them, uh, as well as David Peavy. I think both those guys. I mean, you're going to lose probably some ends here, and they need to continue to be better as pass rushing team. And they use those defensive ends all over the field. You know, I mean, it's again, they're doing more with less in the front seven. And Alex Grinch, again, you know, using uh, Tuli, Tuli Pelotu. As a as a as somebody to jam the tight end in the slot, 
I mean, at that point, you're in the kitchen sink category of your playbook. And uh, the, these type of players that they're bringing in are guys that are going to be able to do more athletically for USC. And they really do need to be just a bit better in that, that, uh, that end to second level of the defense. We talked about that a lot. Um, so I think it was really big, even though he's already committed to USC, it's just one of those things that, Hey, you know what? You, you can't stop recruiting those type of guys. You, you know, this is modern day recruiting. Even the guys that are verbally committed, you, you got to recruit some of those guys just as hard as guys that are uncommitted. So I think it was big just to get him down there, even if, if he is already committed. And then there was like a slew of other guys that were there from the 2023 class that were already committed. Um, just not probably, uh, a big a deal because I think you know some of those guys like uh, Malachi Nelson and Makai Lemon etc are more locked in. So from the 2023 class perspective, it wasn't a big recruiting weekend. It was it was like okay, we got Mateo down there again. He's been down there quite a few times. That's important in his recruitment. You want to continue to try to make waves there and continue to try to make up ground. We'll see what happens with this Georgia visit and what goes on there. I mean, that could obviously uh, make an impact in his recruitment. Um, it was really more about the 2024 recruits. It was almost, uh, quite frankly, like a junior day <laughs> than it yeah. was uh, a big, you know, recruiting Absolutely. weekend for official visitors uh, as we get closer to the signing day. There was the guys that aren't going to be signing uh, in, in December that uh, really were the, the bigger prospects. Yeah. And do you want to run through that list real quick? Why don't you hit the list and we'll just talk about, you know, whoever you think. I, I think there's some notable guys. The list is long. There's definitely some notable guys, uh, you know, like Willis, Texas, five star quarterback, DJ Lagway. I, I think, you know, that's where you sort of start with that list. Yeah, that's the I, I, I refer to him as the sort of headliner of this big recruiting weekend, you know, bringing in 2024 five star quarterback and, you know, he's making a commitment here shortly, December 7th. That's when he's going to make his pledge. You know, there's a bunch of top schools going for his commitment up there with Florida. And you said, you know, you mentioned, we had mentioned before on this podcast that he was expected to take a Notre Dame unofficial visit, but it wasn't really quote unquote locked in. And there was some talk if maybe he, if he wouldn't make it out. And you said USC would be in a really good position if they were able to keep that visit with about a week to go in his recruitment. And lo and behold, they got him on campus, got his family on campus with them. His mother, his father, his younger brother were with him, you know, brought them in early, did some of the, the photo shoot stuff in the Coliseum, some cool photos. And then the other sort of headliner I would go, go with him with Lagway is five-star defensive lineman, Justin Scott out of Chicago, a uh, big bodied kid, six foot five. I think he's pushing around 310 pounds, I believe, last time I updated. Saw him up up close. He looks like a guy. You know, the first time I, I put my eyes on him, the, the first thing I noticed, he's got some long legs. He's got some tree trunks, but they're long, uh, which I thought was interesting for that body type. And, you know, going down the line, you know, there's more trench guys that were super important in terms of ranking how they're important. The, the big modern day offensive linemen were there. Brandon Baker, DeAndre Carter. Carter, most recently, you know, took in the USC-UCLA game. USC got that dub, runs L.A. in front of all those uh, prospects, Carter being one of the bigger ones, back again for another rivalry game. Great atmosphere. Brandon Baker, been, you know, Oregon to lose, I would say, at this point. But USC still pushing really, really hard. Uh, just based on what I saw from, you know, he was having a great time at that game. They also got a big contingent of Bosco kids, you know, Fresh off their uh, 
uh, CIF championship over modern day and likely national championship, assuming they don't stumble in the state playoffs. But you had a big key Bosco group there between Mateo, you know, Peyton Woodyard, who just released his top seven. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But Peyton Woodyard was there. Marcellus Williams, obviously, with his brother, Max Williams, being on the field. Uh, Four-star linebacker Jordan Lockhart, the Ole Miss commit. And then Kingston, uh, Viliyama Asa, who, you know, I saw play two weeks ago. And I thought, you know, he looks back from that knee injury. And a guy I think USC needs to keep home. I know Ohio State is a big player for him. But he was in attendance, too. Uh, Deshaun Faustos Ramos, he's a 2023, but he's just been part of that group that's always been on campus. Most of Bosco's offensive line was there at the 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 game as well. Guys that don't have offers, but just guys you know they're monitoring, including the maybe the world's greatest uh, recruit name, especially for an offensive lineman, is King Large was in attendance. You know, I just got to get that out there. I know he's not on the list right now, but. How could I not talk about a guy named King Large, uh, Gerard? How could I not? Chris loves names. He just I love loves a good names. name. <laughs> I love a good name, and King Large may be the the greatest. Uh, it's it's definitely on the hollow. It's definitely on the the route Mount Rushmore. If if I'm being honest with you, Gerard, you don't I think agree. Going back, uh, I mean, you liked uh, the uh, sincere, uh, the running back. From Sarah, you were a, a big uh, fan of his name. Uh, I, I still feel like uh, Ethan points at him, trumps all of them, uh, just for the fact that I actually thought that somebody hacked the Rivals database when I saw that profile. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> the coldest, another good, you know, first name. The coldest Crawford, yeah. <laughs> great, great. But going back to, you know, like you said, the headline visitor, which uh, I, I think, yeah, would be DJ Lagway. Um, we talked about USC getting this visit. They were battling Florida for a visit, and he's already been out to Florida uh, a couple times. And so getting him back to USC because he's not been on campus since, I, I believe it was the spring that yeah. he took his unofficial visit. When he got the, the offer in town for the uh, Clarkson uh, retreat. The Clarkson deal, yeah. That was Memorial Day weekend. Yes, correct. And so I, that's, that's sort of like, I mean, it's like spring, summer, you know, kind of an in-between point of, uh, of what, what season it actually is at that point in Southern California. Um, I think it was actually cloudy and looked like it was going to rain that day, uh, actually. Um, but so with Lagway, he's already made the decision that he's going to commit December 7th. Now, in most situations, that signals or suggests that that recruit has already made his decision. and. The fact that he was thinking of going to Florida, a lot of people felt like, okay, that says that he's going to Florida. But then he pivots and he decides to come out here to Southern California again. The vibe that I get, and, and this is kind of the, the aftermath of the visit, is that USC was sort of playing for perhaps him delaying that commitment or that announcement. So... I get the vibe USC still probably playing from behind some. I think the visit surprised him. I think he came out. And, and of course, I know people have questions. They're like, well, why would he take a visit anywhere else if he already knows he's going to Florida? I don't know. This happens all the time. This is not something new. This is something that, you know, recruits do. They, they announce they're going uh, to come in on a certain date. Everybody has a vibe like, okay, this is the school he's probably going to. And Lagway had alluded, you know, he, he kind of had been to the school and seen it and, and liked it and everything. And he just not been to USC in such a long time. A lot of people felt like, OK, 
USC is a dark horse at best. But now he's come back on campus with his family. I think USC put on a great showing. We'll talk a little bit about the game and sort of the things that USC did that match up well with Lagway and his game. I think USC definitely made up ground, but there was ground to make up. So it wasn't like he was coming out here because he had already made that decision. You know, he, again, he had made the uh, – he had implied he already knew where he was going. And so a lot of people feel like that's Florida. Baylor's in there as well. Texas A&M was in there as well. There's been a few schools that have kind of gone back and forth. A&M has kind of fallen off the rails in terms of, uh, you know, offensive recruits just because of the season that they've had. And I think Baylor has faded as well. And Florida, uh, you know, the sources out there and the writers that have followed his recruitment are very confident that he's going to end up committing to Florida. Uh, and, and without stepping on, again, the recruiting angle segment, I will say this. I don't think anybody's really losing sleep if DJ Lagway commits to Florida now. I think the feeling is that, you know, with all of these kids and NIL becoming a thing, you know, there's it's just a long, long road to actually signing. There's a lot of stuff that can change. Just look at what happened with Malachi Nelson. Malachi Nelson's locked in with USC, saying all the right things with USC, and then he pops up for an unofficial visit at the end of summer, Texas A&M pool party. Texas A&M, the year before, signed the number one class in the nation, uh, a class that was a generational class in terms of its rating and its talent. And people were freaking out. They were freaking out. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. NIL, he's got the bags, he's going to Texas A&M, he's going to Texas A&M. As we reported then, I never got the sense from any sources that Texas A&M was actually a big player for him. It was more just the fact that he took that visit and it looked like he was looking around. It was actually other schools that he may visit in the future that were the schools that you had to look out for. But it was like he was sending a signal of sorts of like, okay, I'm looking around a little bit. And it was a shot over the bow at USC and so people were definitely freaking out. And that's how quickly things can change. And at this point, you know, now people feel good about Malachi Nelson and they, you know, almost talk about him on the message boards like it's a foregone conclusion. And they're comparing him with DJ Lagway. And it's just amazing how quickly things change just because of the perception based on visits. So, again, with DJ Lagway, you know, there's a few different attributes that you look at and you say, okay, he fits what USC does so, so well. But at the same time, you're looking at a quarterback, and we know that if there's one position that you're never really at need for on the West Coast, it's quarterback. There's always going to be some elite quarterback play on the West Coast. There's always going to be good players that you can recruit from. And a lot of time, you don't even have to leave uh, the, the, the greater L.A. basin to go after those top quarterbacks. And then you look at Lincoln Riley, and Lincoln Riley himself has developed great quarterbacks out of high school. He's developed great quarterbacks out of the transfer portal, although it wasn't really the transfer portal back then. But you're talking about Kyler Murray transfer. You're talking about uh, Baker Mayfield transfer. You're talking about Jalen Hurt from Alabama transfer. And, and look at what Lincoln Riley did for them. Look at how he was able to plug in those players and get those players not only drafted high, but win a couple of Heisman trophies. So at the end of the day, again, I don't know if anybody's really losing sleep at this point in time. If DJ Lagway actually decides to go ahead and commit Florida, I think he's a guy worth continuing to recruit. I didn't feel that way about Dylan Rayola. I just felt like in terms of profile, in terms of attributes and fit, he's not the style of quarterback that Lincoln Riley has won with, whereas DJ Lagway has. But again, you know what? 
if he decides to go to Florida now. USC's going to have options, man. And we, you know, everybody gets caught up. It's so early. Oh my gosh, you know, you got to get them your quarterbacks early. I totally understand that, but at the same time, you know, look at how many guys. Look at the, the, the Jaden Rashada situation where you know he's all locked in for Miami, and people are saying, oh, you know what, you know, he got an NIL deal ahead of time, and those kids are contractually, financially obligated to their commitments, and then poof, he's committed to Florida. So there's a lot of that that you have to really consider. And if you've been a veteran recruitnik and you've gone through all these different scenarios and all these different storylines, you know things can change down the line. So I don't think that um, even though he's definitely a headline recruit here, I don't necessarily think anybody's losing sleep over him going to Florida at this point in time. And remember, Lincoln Riley could be adding to his resume a third Heisman winner uh, next week uh, with the Heisman ceremony being – uh, very soon. So that would just be, you know, continue to push his ability to recruit quarterbacks uh, in the future. So, yeah, don't don't really freak out if, you know, DJ Lagway doesn't give it to USC. There's always time. There's always options on the board, including a, a local guy right up the street, Elijah Brown, who some people like more than DJ Lagway. So, yeah, there will be options uh, for USC, Lincoln Riley for uh, a quarterback in the 2024 class. And just with Justin Scott, I just wanted to add, it, it, it felt like for them it was more so kind of getting their foot in the door with him. They offered him in the spring. This was a this was an opportunity to bring him on campus, show him the West Coast, show him the Coliseum, show him, you know, USC and LA and what it has to offer. And as, you know, he, he said in his update that he definitely intends to come back. So, you know, USC did their job. The atmosphere was great for him to kind of take in. So really good impression on a Midwest kid uh, playing a Midwest team like Notre Dame and getting that win in front of them. So a a good job all around in terms of, you know, quote unquote, making up ground with DJ Lagway and then just making a really good impression for a five star defensive lineman, a guy they could really use on the roster. I agree. I think that's a good point. With Justin Scott, this was almost like one of those traction recruits that we talked about mm-hmm. with those unofficial visitors that came in during the summer and the summer being so heavy with official visitors that were from out of state. And, you know, some guys you're trying to close with, some guys you're just trying to open the door a little wider with and give yourself an opportunity to potentially re-recruit them down the road. And I think with Justin Scott, as you said, this was sort of the the getting to know hey, we're a serious contender. And from everything I got, you know, kind of off record behind the scenes with Justin Scott, there's a feeling like USC can be a legitimate contender here for his commitment. And there's a chance that he actually is back on campus in January. Uh, Sounds like they're going to bring in some guys here, um, you know, some point in January, probably for a a junior day. Don't know how big it's going to be. But one of the guys that a a lot of people reported that was going to be on campus who who wasn't on campus, and I I don't know where that came from. I talked to him. Actually, a couple weeks uh, congruently is King Joseph Edwards, uh, the athlete out of Buford, Georgia. He's about 6'4", 225, 230. He's a, he's a big kid, could play on either side of the ball, probably going to be a defensive player. USC is recruiting him as a defensive player. And he had talked to Sean New a couple weeks ago about coming out to USC unofficially, uh, and that's probably going to happen in January. So I could see where they want to try to bring Justin Scott back out and uh and king joseph at the same time for some type of maybe out of state you know uh midwest hey look at it's 80 degrees here in los angeles while you guys are trying to shovel yourselves out of uh, your houses 
in the Midwest type of junior day. Um, so we'll see how that comes together. But um, that's uh, definitely with Scott a, a totally different, you know, scenario of recruiting when you compare to Lagway. As I said, with Lagway, you've got options out here at quarterback and you always are going to have talented quarterbacks. Uh, that's the one thing where Lincoln Riley is is definitely going to uh, enjoy recruiting USC over Oklahoma, where you really don't have to go outside the state to find some of the best players nationally. That's not necessarily true of those impact five-star defensive linemen. And a lot of times you find yourself going into the South after those players. And for whatever reason, a lot of those guys are mama's boys and they're just not going to leave the region. They're not going to leave uh, their state. A lot of times they stay very local, even when, you know, the local team doesn't seem that good, doesn't seem like things are developing. They just don't want to go very far from home. But a kid from Chicago, you know, a little more of a city boy, probably not as intimidated by Los Angeles and the pace of life of things. You know, that's a different story. And so USC has had some sporadic, infrequent uh, success recruiting, you know, that 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 Midwest area. You know, go back to guys like Nick Perry, um, who was not rated as highly and, and was a little under the radar, actually, from Detroit, Michigan. Uh, but nevertheless, a, a big time pass rusher that USC was able to get uh, because you just, you know, there was a lot of checking boxes with a big city guy, but you're just, you know, bringing him from that cold Midwest and you're able to uh, you know, bring him out on a visit out here in, in Los Angeles. And it's very similar in terms of like pace of life, big city and everything. Uh, but, you know, it's just a, a little better scenery, sort of speak. And so, yeah, I think with Justin Scott, there's a feeling. You know, the, the Ohio States and the Michigans of the world, they're all going to be there. Uh, Notre Dame is going to fight for them. But, yes, this was a perfect time to bring him out uh, to Los Angeles, playing Notre Dame, beating Notre Dame in uh, your first year uh, as a head coach, and then uh, maybe bringing him back in January where, again, it's going to be, you know, sub-zero temperatures probably in Chicago, windy. And, uh, you know, you never know with Los Angeles. We could have a Santa Ana. It could be 83 degrees in Los Angeles. And I didn't see him with his parents down on the field. He was just with his uh, younger brother. Uh, that's the only two, or the only person I really saw with him. But at the end, when I was in that uh, mosh of recruits, I did see uh, one 2024 USC commit, Joey Olson, chatting up Justin Scott uh, a lot there at the end there. So maybe Joey Olson, uh, the recruiter early here for the 2024 class. Yeah, Joey's been pretty quiet. I didn't know if he was actually going to show up. He never got back to me on text uh, about whether he's going to be back this weekend. Justin Scott, same thing. There were some reports that he was coming in this weekend, but we just could not verify it. In fact, you know, during the week early on, our Midwest guys got a hold of somebody that said he was going to go to Ohio State. So it's one of those things where, you know, we start hearing things. We don't just put lists out just because it's like, oh, yeah, sounds great. You know, it's clickbait. We want to try to follow up with each of these players and, and make sure guys are coming. Um, and sometimes guys say they're coming and they're not coming. You know, David Peavy got sick. He, he was fully intending to be at USC this weekend uh, and couldn't make it. Um, there were several of those players that just decided not to show up. So, you know, it happens. You try to have a, a realistic list and not just uh, throw something out there to get the fans hype. But um, Justin Scott's definitely a guy that uh, it was big to get him on campus. And again, just that first impression is basically what USC was trying to make. And uh, now you have to continue it. You have to continue to develop that relationship uh, with Sean Nua. And we'll see where it goes. You know, as we get into later spring, it might be one of those deals where he's been on campus a couple of times. We get into June. He wants to make his commitment uh, next summer. And USC's, you know, in a position more where they're trying to close with that deal instead of just bring him in 
during the summer and trying to get traction with him like they were with guys like Anthony Hill uh, and and some of the players that they brought in, uh, Edric Hill, uh, those guys that um, you know were not players that they had a great relationship with the staff from USC. It was more they kind of knew the staff from Oklahoma, uh, but you know clearly it's not the complete staff and it's a completely different scenery, completely different school, and so you're you're kind of starting from scratch in a lot of ways with some of those guys. You know now you're able to get some of these guys on campus earlier. And you're going to have guys in the spring and then you follow up with those visits. It's a completely different situation and context in terms of recruiting them in June and trying to get those commitments before the summer. And just one guy I wanted to kind of touch on or circle back to that we mentioned is Peyton Woodyard, who did put out a top seven after this game. Uh, That top seven includes Georgia, Ohio State, Oregon, Michigan, Florida and Notre Dame. and USC is firmly in the mix for Peyton. And we've mentioned several times that, you know, we felt that USC was the leader for uh, Woodyard. But uh, Steve Wolfong dropped a fong bong, as uh, people like to say, and put a crystal ball in for Georgia for Woodyard at a, at a six confidence rating. We didn't actually mention it last week. That could have been on uh, stock market, crystal ball stock market. We haven't done one of those in a while. But Georgia has the loan crystal ball for him and it's very interesting because USC you know realistically as the number four team of the country which in the college football playoff could be playing Georgia uh, on New Year's uh, Day for a spot in the national championship and you know that's just wild to think about and then Peyton Woodyard you know has his commitment date six days after that so a interesting time to you know put out that top seven and that that commitment, you know, Bosco kids love to do it early, never this early, but yeah, Peyton Woodyard trimming down his recruitment and closing his process up. I got to talk to him after his uh, game in the semifinals against Mission Viejo. I got to put that interview up still, but you know, really, really likes USC. And he told me that they're really making it hard for him to think about leaving uh, Southern California. Yeah, he's always been very high on USC. I, I spoke to him after the Notre Dame USC game and, you know, said he went down there with his mom. And I think, you know, with Georgia, that was a, a later visit. And we haven't really talked about him since he took that unofficial visit to Georgia. And they made a big impression on him, clearly. And I think, you know, right now the vibe is maybe Georgia does have the momentum. Uh, whereas I thought, you know, between USC and, and Ohio State, I, I know that there's definitely been a lot of talk about Ohio State with him and Notre Dame as well. I thought uh, my personal read was USC out of those schools would get him over those schools. But the Georgia visit and, you know, again, deciding to announce shortly after that visit, uh, of course, you know, he just visited USC as well. So, you know, maybe there's something to that. I, I do think there's some good sources feeling like, Georgia got some momentum from that trip. Now, this is an early commitment for a local player, and you do wonder if it really matters a whole lot. If USC is able to continue on the trajectory that they've had this season, which is basically to say that they're in the college football playoff next season, guaranteed, um, and maybe Caleb Williams is playing for a second Heisman Trophy, yeah, is Georgia able to keep uh, you know, Peyton Woodyard away from USC, if USC really wants them, uh, that's, that's probably doubtful. But at the same time, you have to look at the safety board and realize that, um, 
you know, Peyton is looking at Kalen Bullock uh, in 2024. You know, that's the spot that's going to be open. Uh, Peyton's not quite the same player, though. They're, they're definitely different players. Kalen Bullock is a wiry uh, free safety that played some corner in high school and is definitely more of a cover guy than he is a physical player near the line of scrimmage. Peyton Woodyard has a much bigger body, is built more like a linebacker uh, than Kalen Bullock is. So I don't necessarily know that they're they're the same position. So that might be something that uh, Woodyard is, is considering and looking at in terms of fit. Uh, but USC is, they've done so good at recruiting uh, safeties, not just out of high school, but they've been very, very good at getting safeties out of the portal. I, this is kind of another one of those positions like quarterback where it's like, hey, great player out of high school. You continue to recruit him and you continue to try to, 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 make an impact in his recruitment as you go on and it's closer to him actually signing. But at the same time, you know, that there's going to be options. This is not like defensive tackle where you're talking about Justin Scott or offensive tackle or certain positions where, you know, you might not be able to make up that type of player, um, you know, safety quarterback. There's a few positions there that on the West coast, you do have options. So we'll see how it goes going forward. But I think Georgia is definitely a threat. Um, as I said, I, the, the sources that I've spoken with, have been pretty confident that that visit out there kind of changed things for him. And if he was ready to commit to USC, he would have commit. We actually heard some point mid season, I think it was like Arizona state that there was potential uh, Jordan Lockhart and uh, Peyton Woodyard might be close to pulling the trigger for USC. And it didn't happen. So it's one of those things that's, you know, it's like didn't happen, didn't happen, didn't happen. It's almost like with David Peavy in Oregon, you know, that was a silent commitment for, for months, and they kept trying to get him up there and, and kept, you know, trying to close the deal with him. And then when it came time to take an official visit, Oregon decided they wanted to just have unofficial visits, and that sort of, you know, kind of rubbed David Peavy the wrong way and just felt like maybe, you know, USC wanted him more. And so these are the kind of little nuances that happen in recruiting that you, you have to keep an eye out for uh, when it's close. But you know, with 2024, I mean, that's a long ways away. As I said before, you're going to have all these NIL deals that go off during the summer. And I, I said last summer, the one thing that I had heard from USC sources is that USC did not want to negotiate deals with NIL in July when, you know, nobody was going to be signing anything that was binding until December. And so we're going to wait and see how that all shakes out. You know, we're going to get to December. The early signing period will be there. We'll see if there's some guys that USC is able to make a move with that we didn't think they're able to make a move with. You know, there's going to be the in-home visits, and I think Lincoln Riley again has much more cachet from that standpoint than Clay Elton ever did. Uh, there's just a lot more that can change, and it's not guaranteeing it. It's not predicting that we're going to see this huge momentum shift, and USC is going to just get all these uh, commitments right before signing day. It's just it's possible and, and and maybe even borderline plausible just with the season that they're having and knowing traditionally what USC can do when they close well on the field. The momentum that's built on the field and the excitement around the program, the enthusiasm, the, the process of the changing culture that we've seen happen before our eyes, all of these things, you know, these things do impact on the recruiting trail. That's why we do recruiting angle pieces. And we've seen um, the impact subtly on the recruiting trail, probably more with the 2024 class than we've seen with 2003 thus far. But again, knowing what can happen, you know, in, in the next, uh, you know, month or so, you just, um, you, you, 
you just kind of leave that possibility open. You don't necessarily want to shut the door. Um, this is the first year Lincoln Riley has been a head coach, getting a recruit his whole first cycle. And it's uh, the first, well, it's the second year where NIL has been uh, what it has been, but uh, also the first year where we had the transfer portal windows. So, you know, there's a lot of unprecedented stuff that we're just kind of sitting back. We have to wait to see how these things shake out so we can kind of look forward in future classes and have some type of educated ideas to, okay, what what's actually going to happen? Make some good predictions based on, um, you know, how things have gone on behind the scenes this this cycle. Do you, since you kind of just kind of touched on it briefly, should we move into the recruiting angle? If you want to, it's it's up to you, man. You are the host of. This I, show, I think right? I you think it'd be good want. to kind of steer into. You know, we talked about you know the the guests of honor, the big guests for this for this game, and and kind of the guys that we went through on this list. So I think it's kind of fitting that we kind of move into what they saw on the field and in, okay. in, in the Coliseum and kind of get your thoughts on what you saw on TV and, and, and how that game played out. I mean, we always have positive and negatives that come from uh, these games and we've done it every week. Uh, this was a, a fantastic atmosphere first and foremost. And this is why in previous years with previous coaching staff, you've seen them bring in six or seven uncommitted recruits, usually from out of state that they're trying to make a move with, you know, this is usually the weekend, whether it's UCLA that they're playing at home or Notre Dame, you can depend on the atmosphere being pretty good for this type of rivalry game. And so uh, I think with, you know, that said, we also have to look at the time and the change of things with recruiting. Um, this is going to be a week where they know they're coming into the championship game and it's going to be a short week. And I think that probably impacted whether they were going to bring in official visitors or just have it all on official visitors. I didn't really think about that last week as to, you know, why would you just go with all unofficial uh, visitors, but you got a quick turnaround and you don't necessarily want to have guys there that you have to shuttle around and you have on campus and you're going to have to have meetings. There's just a big difference from that standpoint of official visitors versus unofficial visitors. Uh, you, you have to set uh, that time aside to be able to have those meetings and have those kids in on your meetings and entertain them. And, you know, some of this falls on the support staff, you know, Annie Hansen and, and her crew are going to do a lot of tours and they're going to be involved with the photo shoots and everything like that. The assistant coaches don't have to be over there for that. But at the same time, there's a lot of other stuff that the assistant coaches have to be involved with. They're going out to dinner with the recruits, so on and so forth. So when you got to turn around and play on a Friday, everything gets bumped up. So I think that might have had something to do with it. Maybe the coaching staff was a bit wary of, okay, you know, what the, what is the atmosphere really going to be like? You know, is it going to really be something that we can recruit from? Um, and then you have the early signing day and the transfer portal, both being uh, pretty significant changes as we've you know gone on here with modern day recruiting and the impact that they're going to have, the fact that with the transfer portal window opening up December 5th, that I think has bumped. And I don't know this for a fact. I haven't spoken with anybody in the NCAA who has told me this is the rationalization, but I think because you now have that portal window, that is what's bumped the early signing period a week back to December 21st. Cause usually it's December 13th or 15th, but 
but now it's going to be the 21st. So what does that do? That gives you another weekend that you can recruit. So you're actually getting two weekends uh, of being able to fully recruit after the championship game, the Pac-12 championship game. So maybe that's also something of, you know, trying to get those last minute visits and uh, not having enough guys on the board where you need to spread them out. They want to do bigger recruiting weekends. And obviously, you know, this coaching staff and the support staff, they've been pretty successful. Now we can look back at something and we have some empirical evidence there where they've had a big recruiting weekend where they brought in just like, you know, most of their targets on one weekend and were able to entertain them all, uh, have meetings and be able to spend enough quality time, valuable time in front of those recruits that they all felt good uh, coming away from that visit. And, you know, USC, again, better. I mean, they're right at that sort of 50 percent mark in terms of uh, commitments coming from that golden hour weekend, um, the second week of June. So maybe we'll have something similar here uh, as we approach the December 9 weekend and the December, I think it's 16th weekend are those two weekends where you have the potential where you can bring in um, a bunch of recruits. So we'll see how that shakes out. But again, the positive is that you do bring in a bunch of 2024 guys. You bring in some guys like uh, Braylon Shelby that, you know, you want to kind of reinforce his verbal commitment and, and make him feel more confident about that and get his family in and make sure that, uh, you know, you sort of dot the I's and cross the T's right before signing day for him. Caleb Williams, uh, this, you know, we talked about this kind of leading up to the UCLA and Notre Dame weekends. These were probably going to be the two games where he won the Heisman Trophy. And I think that might be what we just saw. Of course, the game against Utah is big. It's important. You don't want to have a bad game. You know, Utah could definitely go out there. And this is going to be the second time they see Caleb Williams. And that's always interesting because we're getting a little bit of a preview of how a Pac-12 school will adjust to having seen this offense, this personnel, and particularly Caleb Williams once already. So there could be a bit of a gap that sort of shrinks from what the defense is able to do, how they're able to prepare and adjust to this offense. And so that potentially could lead uh, to a to a game where, you know, it's a little more struggle for the offense just because they've seen Caleb Williams already and they sort of know what to expect. Possibly. I'm not necessarily saying that's going to happen, but possibly. Um, but Caleb Williams in this game against Notre Dame, the stats weren't, you know, amazing for him, you know, by his standards, but it was how he got those stats. Uh, you know, the, the, the great plays with his legs, the ability to extend plays and get the ball downfield. Um, everybody was singing his praises last weekend. I mean, Pac-12 Network, uh, the guys at ESPN, I think everybody feels like he locked up that Heisman Trophy. And you're doing that in front of DJ Lagway, 2024 five-star quarterback, which, you know, we talked about at the top of the podcast. It's what USC does very well. I mean, there were some plays there where USC – running the ball with Caleb Williams. And by the way, Caleb Williams, I don't know if you've noticed, he's been much more decisive running the football the last few weeks. We sort of made a point talking about the decisiveness of the runners for USC ball carriers in general and a lot of sort of sidestepping and shifting, trying to get out of bounds and it almost being a detriment. You know, you're trying to make that business decision, but man, you're inside the hashes and you've got guys that are on the outside and they've got leverage on you. You're trying to make a move to get out of bounds. Sometimes you're going to get yourself hurt more uh, than just getting forward. And and we've seen with Caleb Williams the past few weeks, he's done a much better job of just getting north and south on some of these runs and sliding. You know, we saw slide after that big run that he had against Notre Dame. And so him using his feet, 
this is definitely something that DJ Lagway, when you watch his sophomore film specifically, he's one of the few type of quarterbacks, Caleb Williams, uh, Sam Darnold is another guy, bigger, stronger, physical quarterbacks that can actually gouge the defense running the ball between the hashes. Most quarterbacks, you're going to see them run off tackle at the very most, but most of the time trying to get outside of the tackles running. So if they get tagged, they get tagged by maybe a cornerback and not some big defensive lineman. But as we've seen with uh, Caleb Williams, he's a guy that can take the ball right up the middle and he can score. He can actually break angles and make big plays right up the gut in the defense. And you'll watch with DJ Lagway with some of his highlights. He's like that too, 6'2", 225. He's a, a, a very high-cut player, uh, has a, is a long stride, and is the type of player that can absolutely change a game with his feet. And I think that's a big deal. You know, whether it's extending plays, which you see him move outside the pocket, you know, he keeps square, he makes pretty good passes on the run. I don't know if anybody really is out there that can do what Caleb Williams does outside the pocket on the run. But DJ Lagway's got a big arm and he has mobility. And I think that's been the recipe for success for Lincoln Riley. So you can see why USC likes him. You see why USC wants him. And when you see it from DJ Lagway's perspective, man, I mean, you know, that offense is, uh, it's, it looks right out of the Willis playbook. You know, there was a lot of stuff they were doing, a lot of sort of, you know, even some of those longer reads with the mesh read and whether you're zoning, you know, up the middle or it's the counter read that they do. And they got a score on that near the end zone where uh, you had uh, Caleb Williams and Raleigh Brown both could have probably scored, but the handoff went out to Raleigh Brown where it's those longer sort of reads. DJ Lagway does that really well. And so there were some things there where I felt like there were definitely nods to having Lagway uh, in attendance and saying, hey, look at, you know what? This is the stuff that you do well. The transition for you would be pretty easy. So we'll see. Again, we'll see if, you know, maybe he decides to back off on that commitment date. If he does, then that's a sign that USC has definitely made up ground and, and might have actually uh, done enough to, to overcome Florida at that point. Um, and if not, you know, they'll continue to recruit him. We'll see if, uh, you know, USC is able to, to, to sort of make some changes down the line uh, with his thoughts on, on schools and what have you. Um, the physical run game outside of Caleb Williams running the ball, I think, you know, with the backup running back, Austin Jones, that's shown the player development on the offensive line, first and foremost. And it's shown, uh, I, I think, you know, just the potential future that USC has as a run team. I, I know I sound like a little bit of a broken record, but I really think in the recruiting angles we've written about the past few weeks, you see signs of USC potentially having a very dominant downhill running game going forward. You know, 2023, really 2024 is where you could see a team that could just dominate up front. And even in the Big Ten, when we know that you're going to have to get bigger, you're going to have to be more physical. Listen, Notre Dame was the first team USC has played that has some talent from a college football playoff team. They're not a college football play playoff team this year. They're not that good, but they have the talent. And certainly they're a team that plays up to their competition. We've seen that this year from them. That team that Notre Dame, that team that Notre Dame put on the field against USC this past weekend was not the same team that they fielded against Cal or against Stanford. Those guys felt like this is a walk in the park. We're going to go out. We're going to blow this team out. And they played like it. They thought they could roll their golden domer helmets out there and they could just roll over Stanford and Cal. And that's not holding down. But trust me, 
the team that went out there in the Coliseum, those guys were focused. That was the team that played Clemson. That was a team that was like, okay, we're underdogs. We're going to go out there. And they've got talent. They've got talent in the front seven. And I think that one of the really interesting nuances about this game was the fact that Notre Dame actually respected the run against USC. The whole season, we have seen Pac-12 teams put four guys in the box, sometimes three guys at the line, and then two linebackers off the line. And it's first and 10. And it's like, what the hell is going on here? Do they, they really expect USC to pass the balls, particularly like on a second and long. If you watch the film and you see tendencies, Pac-12 teams almost always back off completely into an eight-man zone when it's second and anything more than, you know, like, like probably three. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Second and five, and there's like prevent defense on the field with a lot of these Pac-12 teams. Notre Dame actually respected the run. And in that first quarter, man, they brought it. They were blitzing. They were playing physical. It looked like USC's line was on its heels most of that first quarter, but they adjusted. And I don't necessarily know exactly what they do to adjust in that particular situation, but I think just physically, I think Josh Henson just said, listen, get your nose in the game. Realize that you're going to get punched in the mouth. We got to come back and we got to punch them in the mouth. And it was almost like, okay, Notre Dame wants to try to stop the run and attack our run. We're going to run it. It, it was a, it was odd because we've talked about in the past, USC not being committed to the run game when they're running for seven yards a game. It's like, man, why did they wait kind of towards the end of the game to start running the ball when it looks like they could really run the ball earlier and probably give Caleb Williams a little bit more protection just because the defense has to play the run, honestly. And in this game, they came right back out in that second quarter and they started pounding the ball. They were like, okay, you want to play at the line of scrimmage? We'll play at the line of scrimmage. And they ran the ball and were as physical as a team that we've seen all year against the team that's as physical, if not more physical than most of the teams that they've seen. So that was an interesting sort of, you know, uh, counter to a counter that we've seen this year with, with USC's offense and then the opposing defense actually trying to stop the run. And then on the flip side of it, another positive was that USC stopped the run. And we've seen the, the, the mainstream media talk about USC's defense and, oh, it's no good. And, and, and you know, there's obviously questions in terms of the, the amount of yards they've given up. But the two things that I know about this defense, maybe the, the three things that, are, that I'm pretty confident at this point in the year, talking about this defense and, and labeling them is one, they always are pretty good at stopping the opposing offense's greatest strength in just about every game. So anybody who paying attention knows against Oregon State, and this was the first game that we sort of saw this uh, in practice from USC. Everybody thought Oregon State is going to run right through USC because they'd seen Rice do it and they'd seen Stanford do it. Now, Stanford if you noticed, they did it because they were running that slow mesh read, which mm -hmm. USC had never seen before. They had not prepared for that. But when Stanford went to their more standard, usual formations and personnel sets, particularly in the red zone, USC stopped them. USC was very good in that game in the red zone against Stanford because Stanford didn't run a lot of slow, me uh, slow mesh read in the red zone. And so people were like, well, you know, they're just going to get gouged by Oregon State. They're such a good run team. And USC stuffed Oregon State in the run. They they were good against Utah against the run. They were good against just about every team that's supposed to have a good run game. Cal, Cal didn't almost beat them because of the run game. They stuffed the run game. It was really 
them allowing uh, Jack Plummer to look like Jake Plummer. That was that was more of the issue. So that's always been the thing is that you know the first strength, the thing that the offense is known for. This Trojan defense is usually pretty good about shutting that down. The other thing is they're going to get turnovers, and they're usually going to get some some sacks. They're they're pretty good about getting after the pass rusher, but they've been very good about getting turnovers. So there's a lot of questions about the defense between the twenties and you know sort of what they do trying to adjust to the offense's strength. So it's always about, you know, with Utah, it's a good example where they start stuff in the run. They're not allowing Utah to run the ball. Utah tried to be physical with them out of the gates and really should have been down 21 nothing if it wasn't for the officiating. But Utah adjusted and Utah had some balance, probably, you know, one of the best all-around teams that they faced this year. And they started throwing the ball and they specifically started throwing the ball to their backup tight end, which USC – clearly did not prepare for and just didn't know how to stop. How it happens this week, it's going to be interesting because Utah, you know, they might be a little more of a passing team because they've got their uh, starting running back banged up, and that was what was successful for them the first time around. So we'll see. Utah's a pretty balanced team, though, and that's the thing. If you're one of those teams that you can stop the, the greatest strength of the offense as a defense, what happens when the offense is balanced enough that they don't just give you one thing to shut down? So this is going to be, again, interesting with this game going forward. So I thought the, you know, the physical run game uh, that USC had offensively and the physicality they showed in the front seven defensively, I thought was the highlight for USC this week. And you've got those 2024 offensive linemen uh, that are in attendance. You know, that's the future. If they're able to dominate recruiting linemen at modern day and St. John Bosco, St. John Bosco's got some very good 25 guys and 26 guys coming down that USC is going to want to get on. You might not have to go very far for offensive linemen here the next few years. Everybody says, oh, linemen, there's not enough linemen on the West Coast. That's not true. That's wrong. I don't agree with that sentiment whatsoever. This is where Greg Biggins and I disagree. I think with offensive linemen, you are able to recruit the West Coast and locally, and you're going to be okay. The real question is going to be defensive linemen. I think that is definitely where you're going to have to occasionally going to go outside the region and have to try to cherry pick some of these guys like Justin Scott in order to be an elite team. And you're going to be able to play with Alabama, you know, Georgia, Ohio state, et cetera. Um, so I, I thought, you know, it was a very good game to be able to show the physicality uh, to, to some of those linemen that they had in attendance. So that was definitely a positive. The only negative I think from the game is that they just didn't have any 2023 uncommitted top targets. You know, you would like maybe to have gotten Caleb Lamu um, on, uh, on that official visit and, and be able to postpone him. You know, committing to Utah, um, maybe some of those guys like CJ Blocker, just, you know, get in and get those guys on campus while you can instead of maybe letting them wait. And then it gives them some time to, to maybe look at another school that's already made up uh, a, a lot of headway. And with Utah and Caleb Lamu, we had been talking about that for a few weeks that he, they were definitely leading and there was potential that he may commit to Utah before he actually takes his official visit to USC. I didn't have to talk for like 90 minutes, it felt like, uh, for this one. So I, I applaud you, Gerard, for going all in. I hope you have a bottle of water or something to sip on because you just went all in on that. And just to note your 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 little Greg Biggins uh, U-beef in terms of West Coast offensive linemen and going out to get them. I just want to say one of Notre Dame's starters was a guy out of Michigan Viejo, Jared Patterson, who's actually become a really, really good offensive guard 
six foot five, two eighty five out of the twenty eighteen class, a four star guy. Uh, but yeah, that was a guy I believe USC didn't even offer. Uh, but that's a West Coast guy. West Coast guy, maybe the next Mark Scholler, who USC has had a couple times on campus. Three star, six foot five, uh, like two hundred sixty pound, six hundred and twenty two hundred and sixty five pound <laughs> offensive lineman. Forty thousand pounds. Yeah. So Isaiah just, Foskey is another guy. Yeah, men from Dale South. USC. He was a tight end, I believe, out of. He was there recruiting him at tight end or something, I believe. Absolutely no presence in the Bay Area. And they might have offered him a scholarship, but he's just one of those guys that uh, they just didn't really go after at all. I mean, there's there's guys like that all over the country where, you know, it's like, ah, you know, we can kind of offer him a scholarship, see if he's interested. He didn't pick up the phone this week. Okay, cool. Offer this other kid from East Texas. And that's pretty much how um, the past staffs have recruited. So, yeah, you you do have to put in your work. Uh, on the West Coast, and you got to lock it down, and you got to have some patience with linemen. I think that there are plenty of guys on the offensive line that turn out to be very good players. Um, you do just have to kind of have some patience and know that some of these guys are going to be 250, 260 coming out of high school. I mean, Tobias Raymond is a, a good example of a guy that they're bringing in that, you know, is not necessarily a dominating big time, you know, 6'6, 315 pound lineman at this point in time, a guy that you might see in the Midwest or in the South. But he can get there. Potentially he could get there. I mean, we've seen him with Chad Wheeler. We've seen him with guys like Jacob Rogers. There's definitely those players that USC's recruited over the years that if you just have a little patience and you're projecting and you can develop, because that's always very important too, you have to develop the talent. And develop, we're not just talking about coaching them up, but we're also talking about nutrition. We're talking about uh, being able to get them in the weight room and build them up the right way. Uh, you're going to be able to find those guys in offensive line. Defensive line, like I said, athletically, I think – yeah, you're going to have to go outside the region a bit. Um, maybe not quite as often as people would presume. I think, you know, with Sean Nua there, being able to tap into that poly pipeline, there have been some very good defensive linemen uh, that have been very low rated that have ended up being very good players uh, on the defensive line that have come from Samoa, uh, that have come from Tonga. And so you might be able to find some guys, you know, in the weeds there if you're a Sean Nua. Um, but I do think if you want to be athletic and you want to be at that really tier one level, yeah, you're going to have to go out and cherry pick some guys like Justin Scott. And just very quickly, I don't know if you mentioned this or not, but I just wanted to get your thoughts. How did the crowd and the atmosphere look watching on TV? It looked okay. It looked good. Um, it's It never conveys the, – the Coliseum doesn't convey the same way as, let's say, Washington Stadium – or some of the more enclosed stadiums where the miking and the camera angles are just, they're just different uh, because it's a very open bowl Coliseum. Um, it, it just doesn't feel the same as it does when you're there live. It, it's certainly not quite as ruckus um, as, as the live field. So, I mean, it, it was okay. And certainly I think in terms of atmosphere and intensity and talking to some of the kids, it was great. It can get better. And I think that after this year, um, you're going to play some opponents and you get some ranked teams in there. You're going to have more opportunities where you're going to see it more like, you know, the Texas game um, and some of the games that we've seen just recently. Uh, it could get to that point where, you know, we're you know 2005 Fresno State, you know, where it's just like insane. And it's you know, literally you got people sitting where they've got the Heisman Trophy uh, the Heisman jerseys and, you know, like the whole stadium is literally packed, you know, you, and that that's kind of a, like a different level. USC's getting there, you know, they're, they're getting there where people in LA that are, 
you know, the casual sports fans and what have you. It's just one of those things where if you have a winner, you know, L.A. will pay attention to you. And so that's just beginning to happen for this team. But you got a returning Heisman Trophy winner and this offense. Proof of concept, concept as Lincoln Riley has put it, is, is there. Um, that's not only just for recruits. It's also for, you know, some of the fans around L.A. Uh, to get them to, uh, you know, not go to the beach that day or not go to a Laker game or not go to, uh, some restaurant or what have you. There's obviously a lot of competing recreation in Los Angeles and uh, USC is always fighting against that. But if you're a winner, uh, you're probably going to be able to get the, the majority of the uh, the casual sports fans down. The casuals as in the filthy casuals or just the casuals? They're, they're, they're just the, the yeah, I mean, I guess so. Yeah, <laughs> I guess filthy casuals. I mean, they're, they're the, 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 the group of just people that kind of, Hey, they're looking for something interesting to do. You know, they're looking for an experience. It's like, hey, we could go out hiking this weekend. We could do this. We could do that. But there's a ranked team that the USC is going to play. And man, USC is really entertaining to watch. Let's go check out the USC game. And so it's, yeah, they're very, very, very casual. Well, I thought it was very popping in the the Coliseum. Not quite the, uh, like the Pete Carroll era, you know, the, the times you have mentioned what it's been like in the Coliseum, but it was definitely the most alive I've seen that place personally since I've been covering. Uh, and the, and the Coliseum has shrunk since then too. Mm-hmm, I mean, mm-hmm, the sellout crowd was I think 93,000 when Pete Carroll was around. Now it's like closer to like 75, 76,000, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah, that, that sounds right. That sounds right. But, you know, thank you, Gerard, for, for just talking a lot in general. And in in that piece just, I didn't really do anything, you know, a couple of uh, laughs here and there and a couple of yeses, but thank you. Uh, we've actually, you know, eclipsed the one hour mark pretty severely, but we got some some last minute kind of topics to touch on. We can kind of hit through those not not quickly, but kind of with some pace as, as we try to get to this break at a reasonable time. But did want to comment on Caleb Lomu, you know, committing to Utah I was kind of down to the Utes and USC. USC kind of had a good amount of momentum. You know, coming off that unofficial visit with him and Elijah Page on his official visit. And then the Utes came off and went ahead and took some of that momentum back. And a couple crystal balls went in for Caleb Lomu for the Utes. Then Blair Angulo said at the time, you know, it's very, very close. But if it was making a decision today, it would be the Utes. And lo and behold, you know, he ends ends up closing his uh, commitment or excuse me, his recruitment and makes a commitment to Utah. They will play each other this weekend, obviously, so that'll be interesting to see what goes on there. But I know this is kind of a, I wouldn't say like outright bummer for USC fans because USC does have a really, really good offensive offensive line recruiting class right now in 2023. But I know they were hoping that Lomu would be sort of that extra, you know, cherry on top of uh, a good uh, group right now. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, they're still going to look around and, and potentially recruit somebody out of high school. There's not a whole lot of targets as it stands. You know, again, maybe there's somebody out there that's committed to another school and they can try to woo them in for one of these late official visits here in December. Um, but off the line recruiting is good. I, I think that, you know, certainly, like you said, sort of cherry on the cake would have been Lamu. And Utah said, you know, they got an unofficial visit and I don't know if it was just a family thing or what have you, but yeah, they, they sort of surged there and it was 
kind of like, okay, is he going to be on back on campus for USC? And for weeks and weeks and weeks, we'd heard, okay, that official visit, if it happens, is going to happen for Notre Dame. And then we hear, okay, USC is not going to have any official visitors for the Notre Dame game. So we contact him and it was like, well, we'll see. We're going to have family in town for Thanksgiving. You know, he's got the playoff game that they're playing, and it, it seems unlikely. And so, you know, we go through the week, and, you know, basically he, he's not going to take that official visit. And it was like, okay, so when is he going to be able to officially visit USC, knowing that he kind of wanted to make a commitment here early in December? I thought it probably would have been that first week of December, and but it came, you know, last weekend. So that's um, – a miss for USC, certainly. Uh, I know there will probably be questions about, well, okay, with uh, Lama going to Utah and Oregon seeing some coaching changes, does that maybe open up Spencer Fano's recruitment again? You know, the offensive mm-hmm. lineman mm-hmm. from Utah who did not include USC in his final four or five, I think it was, that he put out. Uh, from what I understand, I was talking to Blair today, no. Uh, Spencer Fano and USC, just not a thing. Um, it never seemed to be a thing, quite frankly. I, I don't know why. I don't know if USC just kind of not sure about him or vice versa. It seemed like, you know, Oregon was kind of the lead school for him. But at this point, I think Utah is a potential leader. Even though they get Caleb Lamu, they could potentially get Utah. So at this point in time, as uh, as we speak right now, you know, things can change. Uh, Blair did not think that uh, that was going to happen. Um, and I, I have no real other info to say that USC and, and final are really even communication at this point. So that kind of transitions us into the what's left of the recruiting board. And we went through that the other week. You know, we talked about all these different players, put them in different categories. Tiers. Uh, I was, yeah, I was using the whole tiers, tier debate. Somebody said, you know, tier kind of suggest that some players are better than others. I didn't like the the sort of ABC because I didn't want that to come off like there was a plan A, plan B, plan C type of thing. So we went with groups. I think groups is basically pods. Where, pod, yeah, pods was another thing that uh, we talked about as well um, of of the guys in terms of you know where USC, where USC sits with them and sort of um, maybe where they are on the board with USC as well because some of these players, I think you have to kind of wonder, okay, how does the transfer portal potentially impact some of these guys? Cause you get some stragglers that have been offered later in the year. They're clearly not the plan a type guys, right? You had those guys over the summer. You have your Braxton Myers who decommits. He goes to Ole Miss. You have your Warren Roberson who kind of looked like he was going to commit, kind of looked like he was going to commit, never did. Another one of those guys sort of like Davey Peavy, but with Oregon, uh, Roberson ends up going to TCU. So there's some of these guys that, you know, have been offered since then that are clearly the, the sort of plan B's into maybe even the plan C's. A guy could open up into the porthole and end up being a dude that USC really wants. And then you're not going to necessarily continue recruiting one of these high school guys. So that's sort of where we get into the whole group A, group B, group C. We won't go over that again. But on the offensive line, you know, the one guy that's out there that's a potential visitor, it's a sort of wait-and-see thing, uh, and USC has is, is never really made any of his top lists, is uh, Braintree uh, main five-star offensive tackle, Samson Unconlola. And he's it would be a great get for USC, certainly. 
uh, five-star offensive lineman. He's long. He's tall. Uh, he's a guy that, you know, Miami, Alabama, you know, all those schools that are normally on the list of top offensive line prospects, well, they're in on him. And so, you know, his – I can't remember what his top seven was, but it didn't include USC. He has talked to Brian Doan, our East Coast recruiting analyst, and said, you know, maybe he might visit USC. You know, he's, I think he's got two official visits he can still take. Um, I don't have his profile uh, right in front of me. But um, that's really the only big impact guy right now that is on the board. Now, it doesn't mean that they might have, you know, a scholarship offer go out late. Offensive tackle, unlike safety, running back, wide receiver, is now one of those positions where USC's had a ton of success recruiting guys. Now, it's difficult to get franchise-type left tackles from the recruiting uh, transfer portal. It's just very difficult. It's like, you know, five-star defensive tackles. Those guys, they're few and far between, and once they're in there, man, everybody and their brother is trying to make a play. And usually the play has been made before they're actually publicly announced in the portal. So um, it's not one of those positions where you can just say, well, it doesn't matter if we get a high school guy or not. We can always go into the portal. They, you know, got Bobby Haskins. And Bobby Haskins has been fantastic for USC. I, I don't want to say that Bobby Haskins hasn't been a huge contributor for USC. He's been very good for USC. But, you know, again, one guy that they got out of the, I don't know how many guys that they try to recruit and how many, you know, actual good players that were in the portal that could actually make that kind of impact. So um, it is a little more important to potentially get some good players on the offensive line uh, out of the high school ranks and, and not wait around. So we'll see how that happens. We'll see how that goes. There is the potential. And this kind of goes into the coaching carousel uh, segment to some extent that maybe there's some coaching turnover at Oregon. We know that they're going to lose Kenny Dillingham to Arizona State. There's been some rumors that Dillingham was a big proponent of bringing in Clem and Adrian Clem might also follow him to ASU and, and maybe even uh, Viviani Telemayo, uh, who's a Trojan alum and was a support staff member for a few years under Clay Helton at USC, uh, went up to Oregon and has been at Oregon and was a guy that was, you know, a, a, I don't want to say a big part, but he was definitely involved in Josh Connerly's uh, recruitment. And so if there's some movement there with Clem going to ASU and maybe Viani going to ASU or just one of them going to ASU and with Oregon obviously not having the greatest season, and there's a lot of questions in terms of Oregon's trajectory as a program. Um, they're a very talented program right now, and there's a lot of argument made that this is about as talented as Oregon can get. <laughs> you know, that Mario Cristobal recruited the hell out of Oregon, and this is about as good as it gets. Now, I think there's some debate there because there's some Chip Kelly classes that were very good, and Chip Kelly got uh, the team to a national championship with Eric Armstead and, and DeBor De DeForest Buckner, um, DeAnthony Thomas. They had some guys, uh, a few of those Chip Kelly teams, which clearly, to me, it underlines how Nike supplements recruiting up there for Oregon because we've seen what Chip Kelly's doing at UCLA, which is almost the exact opposite. So um, I think the Nike factor definitely plays for whatever coach is at Oregon. But the debate is, you know, if you're not winning with that coaching staff now, it doesn't really matter. You're not going to get a whole lot more talented. You're not going to get all these amazing five-star guys up there. Uh, when you're losing games at Oregon. And so it's going to deteriorate from that point. And again, I'm not making a statement it is or it isn't. 
It's just that's the debate. And so potentially there's going to be more guys that leave from Oregon. We'll get into that later, but maybe Josh Connerly is one of those guys that it was very close between Oregon and USC. USC thought they had him, and it was a big surprise to a lot of people uh, that day that he decided to make his announcement. So, you know, we'll see if, if the transfer portal is maybe potentially a place where you can get a good offensive tackle. Uh, with uh, that said, the high school ranks might be where you're a little more of a sure bet of getting a, at least a decent player. There's just not a whole lot of those bodies right now, though, on the target list for USC. Yeah, and we'll talk a little bit more about the transfer portal and all of the new additions, including one interesting-looking offensive tackle, some defensive linemen and such. Uh, after the break, we'll have our uh, TP for my porthole. I, I still don't love it, Gerard. I still don't love the, the title for that. Well, we That's changed the it. title though. It, TP for my portal was just, uh, and you got, and listen, you got to say it like uh, Tabarucci. I mean, there's a, uh, you know, you, you you understand that great Cornholio has an accent, and if you don't yeah, do yeah, the I, accent, you don't yeah. do it justice. Yeah, then, then yeah, I mean, well, uh, yeah, whatever, whatever. Tabarucci, yeah, we'll, 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 yeah. So, yes, I would expect to see some. I'm still waiting for that like random 2023 offensive tackle, offensive lineman offer to go out here within the next couple of weeks, but. The portal is obviously opening up, and we'll see what USC does, especially when uh, offensive linemen jump. And again, we'll talk about portal uh, after the break. But very quickly, as we wrap up the first half of this episode, we do have you know some updates for decommitment season. Kind of mentioned one earlier, Collins Akchempong. I believe that's how I said it. I probably ruined. I apologize. Uh, I think it's Pong, but a Pong. Talk to him in a little while about that, so I don't know. Yeah, well, he made the flip, as we mentioned in the top of the show, the cold open, from number uh, two ranked Michigan to dumpster fire Miami, which, you know, <laughs> I guess, Gerard, either the bags are heavy or he's got some love for coach. Uh, I don't know which one is uh, stronger at this point, but that's a big flip. Coach. A lot of love for coach. And then... uh a four-star tight end, Walker Lyons, backs off his commitment to Stanford, which is having a coaching change, which we'll talk more about uh, with the coaching carousel segment. But Walker Lyons, Collins, big uh, decommitments, uh, part of decommitment season, Gerard. Yeah, that one, you know, we've heard really for the past couple of weeks, and I wanted to kind of put him in the looking around uh, section of the decommitment season. but the sources up there felt pretty confident he's going to stick with Stanford. He's going to stick with Stanford, even though he's taking some unofficial visits and we'd heard he was going to take an unofficial visit to USC. And he actually heard that he might actually end up at the UCLA game. And then this week for the Notre Dame game. So he ended up on the war room list, but stayed put and went to the Stanford game and then turns around and decommits. So, I mean, this is a guy that, over the summer, after his official visit, I would have told you expect a commitment from him. The talk from my sources and everything I was hearing was Walker Lyons definitely feeling USC and a guy that believes that USC is going to turn it around. Now, the interesting nuance in all of this is the fact that Walker Lyons is going to go on a more mission. So at the very least, he's going to be away. For 18 months, he can be re-recruited 
after that point. And so I always thought it was a bit interesting. It's like, you know, you talk about the Riley rocket ship, get on while you can, you know, that's a position where, where you got Deuce Robinson, the Phoenix five-star from Pinnacle high school, who USC has been involved with. Um, they already have the commitment of Caden Eldridge, who I think is really low key, a really nice little fit for them uh, as a player playing that sort of H back fullback position, uh, a position that we've seen be very important for USC here uh, in the run game. Um, they use Lake McCree quite a bit. And uh, interesting is this whole year, the utilization of the tiny position and how it's almost been like a rotation. You know, early on, it was Lake McCree and it was Malcolm X. Lake McCree, Malcolm X. And Lake McCree kind of got banged up and they interject uh, Josh Follow in there. And then it was like all Josh Follow, Josh Follow, Josh Follow, Josh Follow. And then, you know, little Malcolm X comes in and everything. And now we're back to uh, really kind of a Josh Follow, um, Lake McCree you know, kind of interchangeable sort of positions in terms of that, you know, that H-back offset uh, tight end position. And so, you know, when we talked, I think coming away from that golden hour weekend, um, I had made some type of post like, hey, man, those three tight end sets for USC could be really good in the future because I was hearing Cade, uh, Cade Eldridge and Walker Lyons and Deuce Robinson. I mean, USC was definitely in the lead uh, pack for all those players, uh, but then Walker Lyons takes his official visit to Stanford. I think it was the next week, and he sort of box a bit and box a bit, and we're thinking he's gonna, you know, maybe pop for USC, and he ends up popping for Stanford later. So interesting. I mean, he's not like I said going to be available right away. He's not a guy that you're going to be able to play next year. Uh, he'll come in later and could be potentially re-recruited after his Mormon mission. So uh, we'll see what happens with that. Right now, it seems like you know, George is a big player for him. Obviously, Georgia with um, with Bowers, why am I blinking on his first name from um, up north? He's from Napa. Uh, what's his first name, Chris? Georgia, number 18, Bowers. Brock. Blake Bowers, is it Blake Bowers? Brock. Brock, uh, Brock Bowers, yes, yes, yes. Brock, Brock, Brock. Brock. Uh, and you got Leonard, uh, or excuse me, um, Jarrell Washington. Uh, there, who's you know another West Coast guy, you know all these West Coast guys, you know places Alabama and and you know all these guys that uh, it's like okay, you know they're, they're, you want to you want to see signs of the Clay Helton era? Just look at all these teams like Ohio State with C.J. Stroud and uh, and uh, you know Chris Olave and all these guys that ended up going out of state. It's so reminiscent of when I kind of started in the business and and you had uh, uh, Paul Hackett there at USC and, and, you know, Bob Toledo at UCLA had been pretty successful. They had some good recruiting classes, but there was a lot of guys like DJ Williams and Kevin Burnett and Lorenzo Booker that were all leaving state. And a lot of people thought, you know, Reggie Bush is going to leave the state. He's going to go to Notre Dame. Sean Cody is going to leave the state. He's going to go to Notre Dame. And it took Pete Carroll winning and changing the culture to be able to kind of right that ship and keep those guys at home. And so many of those top players that USC had that they won national championships because of were local players or they're, they're regional players. It wasn't like, you know, they, they went out and got all these guys from Texas, all these guys from Florida. No, they were winning with a bunch of Southern California players and they cherry picked at certain positions, guys they felt like were first round picks. They felt like they were guys that were worth going across the country and getting Dwayne Jarrett, Brian Cushing, Fred Davis, those type of players. Uh, and then, you know, as time went on, that sort of changed a bit. You know, And Lane Kiffin was kind of the guy that had that mantra 
on the USC coaching staff. But when he became head coach, it suddenly changed. It was like, we're going to go after some guys and maybe they're not going to be first round picks, but they will be contributors for us. And that was allowing the door open for other programs to slide into California and get some of those good players. And I think, you know, Sark staff actually did a good job evaluating and recruiting the West coast. Um, but then we went to Clay Helton and it just, it all fell apart. And so, you know, a lot of these guys that we've seen abroad having so much success, you know, Bryce Young, et cetera, now they're guys that, you know, normally if, if this was Lincoln Riley and they're playing the way they're playing now, so many of those guys don't go to Oregon. So many of those guys, they don't end up at Alabama. They don't end up at these other schools. And so that's what USC is really trying to get back to now. Absolutely. And the other sort of looking around, because uh, we have, you know, decommitments that we have looking around like guys taking visits is five-star Oregon quarterback Dante Moore, who has done a complete whitewash of his Instagram and Twitter of all things Oregon. And I think we've mentioned him before on this uh, this show about, you know, Michigan yeah. State, uh, the crystal ball. Yes, the Michigan, Michigan State crystal ball that came in. But yeah, just a little bit of the uh, fun little social media things that uh, drive uh, USC or not USC uh, recruiting uh, people that follow recruiting crazy. And then I think the other one would be uh, Xavier Worthy also did a whitewash of his Instagram and he hinted about the storm uh, all quiet before the storm or something like that. So a lot of these uh, guys are, you know, playing a little games on social media and stuff. And especially with portal season and December rolling around uh, the, the it, Xavier Worthy's right. You know, it is the quiet before the storm. And you would know that as a literal hurricane hurricane. <laughs> When we get into talking about potential porthole prospects and things are starting to heat up, yeah, there's definitely going to be more and more of this podcast that's going to be slated towards talking about transfers and, and the impact that these players can make. And it's right now, I mean, it's interesting, some of the guys that are popping up. It's it's definitely interesting. And once the portal actually opens up, again, because so many of these guys – the really top players, there's a lot going on behind the scenes. So we're not hearing entirely everything, but just some of the stuff we're hearing is like, wow, okay, that's that could be nuts. That could definitely, you know, change the game. And um we'll get more into that when we get to that segment because yeah. there's there's a lot to talk about and chew on when it comes to you know these transfer impact players versus taking somebody out of high school that's a you know three star, maybe a low four star type player. Yeah, and I can already hear people like, get to the transfer portal stuff, get to the transfer portal stuff. So, yeah, I think that's all for uh, this segment, you know, talking of decommitment season. Unless there's anything else you want to add, Gerard. You have to add a Beavis soundboard cut talking about the TP and Lake Titicaca. Okay, well, if, uh, I'll work on that. I'll work on getting that before December 5th, which is coming up quick. Uh, but until then, you know, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back, talk about the coaching carousel. Carousel, 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 whatever. I can't even pronounce it right now. The transfer portal, uh, some Friday night light stuff, you know, St. John Bosco beating modern day Friday night schedule for, yes, there are still high school games uh, going on. And then a quick look at the conference championship weekend. And then I got a, a little bit of segment of some uh, listener questions for you, Gerard. So does that all sound good? It sounds Fantastic. Okay, well, we will be right back after this break. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're back! Gerard, how was the, the break? That opens up a Pandora's box conversation because Sue Cravens decided to tweet that we're back in reference to USC. And you oh, know, no. Oh, no. we both have... <laughs> we've both... That's a meme. Old. Listen, Peristyle, hold. Hold, okay? <laughs> We're not there yet, okay? The culture isn't there yet. Nobody's back. This is USC. This is not Texas, okay? Texas, not not as many national championships. Certainly not any kind of runs like USC just had with Pete Carroll or even going back to John McKay. So you have to realize where you were to start saying you're back to that level. And USC talking about a program that was in line for three straight national championships Come on. Not yet. Not yet. Would you say, well, I, I I mean, this feels like, I don't know if recency bias is the right word, but do the fact that they're literally one win away from the playoff, that certainly helps push the conversation forward a lot, right? If they make the playoff? Uh, it, it gives you, yeah, I mean, they're going in the right direction, obviously. It's just, you know, we're back is to say that, we're dominating college football again. Like any okay. school, any okay. time, you know, we can go out there in that bowl game and and blow that team out potentially. You know, it, it USC was just that dominant. They were just that good at that point in time. And, you know, USC now is surprising people. And this is all, you know, on the verge of being a miracle season, quite frankly, for Lincoln <laughs> Riley in terms of the turnaround of performance and what he's been able to do with a mercenary uh, lineup uh, of transfers, but you got to win a national championship or two before you can actually say, yeah, we're back. We're back to that level of year in and year out being there in the picture for a national championship and being a serious contender. You have to get to that echelon of Ohio state of uh, Alabama um, Clemson was kind of there, but they're fading quickly from that conversation of being, you know, of the college football elite. Um, Georgia has sort of entered the fray now, and they're sort of that school now that we talk about year in and year out being there. And I just think you have to win it at some point. And then you start talking about, okay, they've been there every year for the last three years. Yeah, now you can start to talk about being back. But even when that was said about Texas, you kind of stopped and went, okay, so Texas got to the national championship game against Alabama. They lost. Okay. And before that, it was they won it with Vince Young. And then before that, there was some there was some time <laughs> between that, those those championships. And then there's some time before Vince Young where you Texas was even relevant. So, you know, for Texas, maybe it's just a different thing. But for USC, I mean, this is like Alabama. Okay. This is like, you know, very few schools that can say that they've had those type of runs where every year 
people were talking 10 years, uh, they are one or two in the preseason rankings and people just expect them to be in that championship game. So I just think that bar is set so much higher just because you potentially could get to the college football playoff. I mean, you got to start winning some of those games before you start talking about being back and you got to win them in consecutive years. Georgia, Michigan, TCU, can you rank those in terms of the best and worst matchups for this team? Oh, we'll do that another time. That's not for this <laughs> podcast. We'll get to that if they beat Utah this weekend. You promise? Yeah, sure, for sure. I mean, we'll, have to. we'll definitely talk about matchups and, and, and everything. And, you know, yeah, there's a lot. There's you heard a lot it first. He promises. He promises. 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 Okay. College football carousel. We, you added this segment uh, several weeks ago, and when we first started, we really had nothing really to to talk about uh, with it. But Gerard, you saw the future. You knew that this segment was going to get crazy, and here we are with our first, I guess, crazy week of the coaching carousel, which so much going on. You have Auburn officially hiring Hugh Freeze, Wisconsin officially hiring Luke Fickle away from Cincinnati, Arizona State, making Kenny Dillingham uh, the official head coach is something we talked about, you know, them circling him as their number one options, made it happen for the ASU alum going back home. Nebraska making the play and getting Matt Rule, the former Baylor Temple and recently fired uh, Carolina Panthers head coach, targeting him. You know, he was a name that was first out there when he was fired for Nebraska and they made it happen. And then the other one being Stanford, David Shaw, maybe not a shocker, but kind of saying, you know, coach my last game here at Stanford, kind of, I guess, quote unquote, retiring or resigning, however you want to put it. But he is out of Stanford. So another Pac-12 opening along with Colorado, Georgia Tech also still looking for a head coach. So Gerard, you know, pick one of those names. Where do you want to start? Pick a school, pick a name, pick a coach, whatever you want to do. Well, I am surprised David Shaw is out at Stanford. I kind of thought, you know, he could write his own ticket there as long as he wanted to. And, and certainly it looked like he stepped down. But I don't know if that was just his own personal preference or because he was actually pushed out. I, I felt like Stanford wasn't going to do that to him. And regardless of how many games they won or lost, he would be there as long as he wanted to be there. Now, maybe he felt like, he just wasn't up to the task of doing what Jim Harbaugh had done at Stanford uh, for as long as he was there. And he sort of, I think, took advantage of a lot of the things that Harbaugh did. And so, you know, we've seen them getting back to what you expect from Stanford, you know, just in terms of not being very competitive. Uh, Stanford has a tradition of not being very competitive on the football field. It was really Jim Harbaugh in modern day college football that turned them around and did something that was unprecedented uh, for that school. So, with David Shaw, I don't think he's going to retire. Uh, I think he's, you know, officially resigned. And again, it's hard to know uh, whether he was pushed out or whether he decided, you know what, I'm just going to step away from the situation. He can go to TV. You know, he's been semi-successful and doing some stuff with the NFL Network. He could probably do that for a couple of years and then sort of reinvent himself a little bit. We see how many national championships and Super Bowls these coaches win. Uh, after they retire, just ask John Gruden uh, how amazing that you are when you step away from the game and uh, you're able to be an analyst and people just remember all the good things you do and forget about the bad things that you've done. 
but I think, you know, Shaw will probably pop up again. And maybe he's just a coordinator at some point. Maybe, you know, he goes to a smaller school or what have you. But he's pretty highly thought of in coaching circles. So um, I think he'll be able to find a decent job at a decent school in the future. Um, Auburn, it seemed like they wanted to make that push for Joey Freshwater and couldn't do it. And Hugh Freeze was, you know, the next guy there. Hugh Freeze obviously left Ole Miss with a lot of controversy. And there was a lot of shenanigans going on with their recruiting. Uh, they didn't seem to really ever really get in trouble for a lot of the stuff that uh, was floating around about what they were doing. So that's going to be interesting. Could be a fly in the ointment a bit for some of those SEC schools. I know that, you know, there's some talk that he's going to go and try to flip some guys from Georgia and flip some guys from Alabama. Uh, because, you know, he's a, he's a really good recruiter and he'll hire a staff of really good recruiters. And that will be the focal point is recruiting for them. So that will be interesting down there. We're not sure if that's going to affect USC, you know, at some point. I don't know any players in the South that USC would be recruiting, that Auburn would be recruiting, at least for the 2023 class. So we'll see how that goes. Wisconsin not playing any games going after Luke Fickle. I, I mean, that's just that's a big time hire for them. You know, that's a guy that a lot of people talked about with much bigger jobs. Over the years, I know Notre Dame fans were hoping that Luke Fickle would be there, you know, in the coming years uh, that they could maybe circle back to him and bring him in. So him going to Wisconsin, it's interesting because, you know, Wisconsin seems like a, a tougher place to win big. You know, Cincinnati, you could get some Ohio talent. You can get some guys low key at Cincinnati. They're pretty good players. Uh, Wisconsin, you kind of have to go outside uh, the state for the most part to get a lot of your skill players. So. That's a that's a big hire for Wisconsin, but it is interesting um, for Luke Fickle, just in terms of the jobs that he was talked about, maybe getting that he turned down and then going and taking the Wisconsin job. Obviously, Cincinnati has not been as good this year, so maybe it was a little more of reality setting. Like, hey, man, you can have a good year, maybe every two, three years at Cincinnati, and and potentially make a college football run, but annually you're not going to do it annually you're going to lose guys and it's going to be hard and you're going to have to try to re-recruit redevelop and have another one of those special teams and it's just not going to be um annually for you um and kenny uh, dilly handle arizona state we've already talked about that we talked about that being something that was probably in the works uh, last week the big question there is you know who does he bring with him from oregon um he's reportedly from our oregon site uh, duck territory already reached out to several of the staffers there on the offensive side of the ball. So that will be a hiccup for Oregon uh, recruiting offensively and, you know, recruiting offensively against USC in and of itself in the future is going to be very difficult for them. Uh, but um, that's going to be something that, you know, it could shake loose some players and and it already has actually shook loose some players in Oregon, some, some good players. And we'll see, you know, how that sort of uh, plays out with the transfer portal and whether USC gives a look to any of those guys. Can you uh, rank those hires in terms of your favorite to least favorite? I mean, I think Matt Rule in Nebraska is probably number one just because that was the obvious choice for them. That had to be the top guy just because of what he's already done at other college football programs where, you know, it was really hard to win at Temple and, and he won at Temple. Not quite as hard to win at Baylor. Baylor was already rolling uh, because of Art Bryles. And so he came in that situation. It was from a PR standpoint a real son of a gun to have to recruit from. And he was still able to get them to win. And they were still a very good football program there. So I think with Nebraska, this is a team that it's a little more difficult these days to recruit from Nebraska. You got to have some player development. 
Matt Rule will make those teams very physical and, and fundamentally sound. And so that's a team that USC is going to have to play in the future in 2024. They're more than likely going to have Nebraska as a part of that, whether they do a division or a pot or whatever. Nebraska is probably going to be on the schedule every year. And so those are going to be some tough teams to play. I think, um, you know, I mean, look fickle at Wisconsin. I, it, it is a little bit more of a questionable um, step for him, uh, I think, from his side. But for Wisconsin, it's a it's a huge get. I, I think it's a it's a great get for them. And a guy, again, you know, from a development standpoint, not just recruiting a bunch of great players, but over time, he's shown that he's been able to get guys to play above their heads against top competition. The, the biggest difference for him, and this was the question for him as a coach going to USC, is uh, Wisconsin, are you going to be able to do it week in and week out? Because unlike Cincinnati, where – you're playing in a pretty dormant league. The conference is not going to be all that good in terms of your weekend and week out competition. You're jumping into that Big Ten West. You're going to see some good some good teams, especially now that you're interjecting, you know, possibly, you know, not just USC, UCLA, but maybe Washington or, or some other schools in there. Uh, TCU has been talked about as a school that perhaps the Big Ten is eyeballing. So that could be a very interesting, you know, schedule that you're going to have to play weekend and week out. And can he have those teams? Um, do that. You know, Urban Meyer was able to do it, you know, when he left Utah and went to Florida and then went to Ohio State. So, you know, potentially Luke Fickle could do it as well. But I think that's definitely a, a big get for Wisconsin for sure. Um, and with that, I think we can kind of move into a portion of the podcast that's kind of related to, you know, changing people coming and going and new schools and people leaving schools. And that's the transfer portal. Uh, insert uh, Beavis and Butthead uh, soundbite that I don't have yet. But, you know, we've talked about the transfer portal and it's going to get crazy. And, you know, throughout, you know, going back maybe three weeks ago, there was a, you know, trickle here and there. You know, there was a name that popped in, uh, a random guy that would enter the portal. And that might be the only guy that enters in a week. And then maybe you'll get two. Uh, during a week, but Gerard, over the last 48 hours, it's felt like the tap has just been turned on and we're not even getting guys officially in the portal, but there has been over more than a dozen, maybe close to 30 names just in the last 24 hours alone that have either officially entered the portal or there's just been tweets about this person intends to enter the portal, those kind of tweets, you know, so it's coming and you know, they're hitting more and more every day and we're only getting closer to December 5th, but just some of the names that have already entered, you know, Oklahoma wide receiver, receiver, Theo Weiss or Weiss, uh, not quite per, per sure on the pronunciation there, but Oregon wide receiver, uh, Dante Thornton, who was a USC target last season, uh, from the Baltimore area, Oregon running back Byron Cardwell, who was also another Oregon, or excuse me, USC target, uh, in that cycle, but he uh, he's in the portal. Texas State defensive tackle Levi Bell, you know, that's one of those guys who's played at a lower level, but being, you know, a guy who's been productive at uh, the college level, definitely going to be some power five schools knocking on his door. 13 and a half tackles for a loss, I believe five sacks. Uh, Ole Miss edge Damon Clowney, also from the Maryland area. I'm a little pissed because he was actually supposed to go to my high school, DeMatha Catholic, 
but he ended up at St. Francis. USC obviously has a connection with St. Francis, but the cousin, uh, Jadavion Clowney, who we know is a, a beast, a former number one overall player, and he's leaving Old Miss, uh, Alabama, interior offensive lineman Damian George. And I know Gerard has mentioned this all the time, but if they're leaving Alabama, they're probably not, uh, I don't want to say not good, but someone that, uh, you know, USC, does, uh, Alabama does a very good job of keeping the guys that they want to keep. Uh, but that is definitely a name, former uh, blue chip prospect in, in his cycle. And then another interesting one, Boston College offensive tackle, Kevin Pine, six foot seven, you know, 280 pounds coming out of high school, had some big time offers. I believe Auburn, Notre Dame was his projected school to land him, but ended up staying closer to home in Boston College. I do not believe he did much there. Like, I don't believe he was a starter or anything. So maybe uh, not maybe not somebody that. USC would take right away, maybe kick the tires on, but definitely a big-bodied former high-profile recruit. So those are just some of the names I threw out there. There's also guys that are not in the portal yet. Uh, There's been several Texas A&M guys who I'm going to pull up here in a little bit, but there's even been rumors about Ohio State running back Travion Henderson being unhappy with his situation and might be looking to make a change, Uh, and that includes the Trojans. So we're already getting started with guys who aren't in the portal and could also already be looking at the Trojans. So, Gerard, we are just getting started with the transfer portal. We are just getting started. And, yeah, when you see guys like Travion Henderson potentially jumping into the portal, I'm going to say this. And okay, this okay, say it. Potentially this is just going to be something that is a, is a boilerplate statement that I make because of all these guys coming out of the portal and and we go back to our familiarity with them through high school. I think USC again has to evaluate these players based on their college tape and not their high school tape. Because a lot of these guys are former four stars, former five stars, and they may have some relationship or some familiarity with USC through the recruiting process, but that doesn't necessarily make them potential productive players at USC. I think if you look at the empirical evidence, the performances that we've seen from players that have come out of the portal, it's very much slated towards the guys that are making impacts for USC this season and have made impacts for USC are the guys that have some production behind them at the schools they left. So when you look at guys like Solomon Bird, when you look at guys like Jordan Addison, when you look at Caleb Williams, when you look at um, Eric Gentry, um, even Makai Blackman, who you've mentioned in the past being a junior All-American out of JUCO before he went to Colorado, um, they were productive at the schools that they left. But then when you looked at the guys that weren't very productive, uh, but they were good high school players, maybe like an Isaiah Sopcher that came from Alabama as a former five-star. Ishmael. Um, Ishmael, excuse me. You know, uh, Travis Dye, Austin Jones. Those guys were starters and productive at their former schools. Darren Barlow, who I love and I think should play more, hasn't been super productive, wasn't super productive at TCU. Uh, Another guy that I I really like from TCU, um, whose freaking name now I'm blanking on for some reason, uh, the defensive lineman from TCU, who has not played at USC at, almost at all. Uh, Chris, I'm blanking on his name. Why am I blanking on his name? Because he hasn't played at all this year. 
Earl Barquette? Yes, Earl Barquette. Gosh, I don't know why I just blanked. I was thinking of him, and I just the name just. I'm Ooh. I'm gonna be I'm completely honest with you. I was searching on social media for these Texas A&M names of guys who aren't in the portal yet but are intending to enter, and I didn't really hear what guy you were referring to, but I always knew. You're a big Earl Barquette guy, so I just said Earl Barquette. And there we are. That's we're the same. We're on the same wavelength right now, Gerard. I mean, the five snaps that he's probably played this season, I actually really like what I've seen from him. But another guy that didn't really do a lot at TCU and hasn't done much at USC, Xavier Alpert, another guy, a very good high school player. Went to Texas. He played a bit, but was injured a lot. Hasn't done really anything at USC. Uh, Jake Smith, we didn't even know yet. Uh, he was actually productive at, at, at Texas. I guess that would be exception to the rule because Jake Smith actually had a good, I think, sophomore season at Texas, but he was hurt a lot. And so he didn't actually play quite as much. Um, maybe the biggest exception to the rule for USC has been Tyrone Talele, who didn't really do anything at KSU, and he's actually a contributor for USC. Um, but most of these guys that are playing well for USC, they they were productive somewhere else. And that's the guys that you want to bring in going forward at USC. You don't want to put too much, well, he's got a lot of potential because look at him his high school film. If he didn't do anything, if he's a former four-star, five-star guy, but it isn't even like a full-time starter or doesn't have a, a, a decent amount of statistics at the school he's leaving, I just think USC's got a balk on those type of players. I think you need to bring in guys that can make an impact for you. And those guys are the guys that have been productive elsewhere. And so, you know, they're leaving for reasons because of coaching. They're leaving because they feel like maybe the new system that they're going to be a part of uh, isn't very good. Um, Jordan Addison left because, you know, his quarterback left. And he looked at the writing on the wall and he said, Keaton Slovis, eh, I think I'm going to go to USC and play with Caleb Williams. Um, that's the sort of situations and scenarios that, you want to recruit from um, a guy like Oregon Dante Thornton is intriguing because he's a tall lanky receiver. Uh, he's fast. He's a guy that was certainly a rotational guy. He had like, you know, maybe one or two games a season where he had a pretty good uh, season. Um, he hasn't been nearly as productive as Troy Franklin, who was another wide receiver in that class that USC recruited. Uh, that's more along the lines of the guy that you're looking at. I mean, I think at the skill positions, you're looking for like borderline old conference players for USC. This is a different cycle for them uh, bringing in transfers. It's not like last year where you're trying to basically turn the whole uh, roster upside down. You know, this more people are coming to you. More people want to play with you. And, and But the thing is that you're building that culture. And so you probably want to have more retention. I mean, this is this this team is eleven and one, right? So, so you really want to have all this mass exodus again when you when you have a proven commodity there, where even your second team guys uh, that are there have been contributors and they've done some good things for you, and you want to continue to develop some of the talent that you have and guys that maybe haven't played a whole lot, but you feel like your coaching can get them up to a higher level instead of you know trying to shake the boat a little bit too much with guys who. Well, he was good in high school. You know, he was all oh, we have film of him and we had a relationship with him. He was a four star guy out of high school, um, but he didn't really do anything uh, in the college that he's at now. And, and now he's leaving that, that situation. And, and, you know, and, and there's always potential that, you know, he reinvents himself. And again, you know, Tyron Telene, uh, Telene, 
is a good example of a guy that can just, I mean, he left Kansas State and really didn't do a whole lot. And you're like, well, that's just the body that they're bringing in. And at that point in time, the mentality is probably more like we need some bodies, you know, but now you have guys and you've established yourself a little more as a coaching staff with the roster that you have. I just think that you want guys that are proven commodities, uh, particularly at the skill positions, wide receivers, running backs. You want guys that have done something somewhere else and they're coming here and you have certain expectations of them, like a Jordan Addison type of player. Um, now at the line, it's a little different because we know, you know, it's, it's harder to recruit um, the offensive linemen. USC doesn't have a ton of depth at the defensive or offensive lines. So that's maybe a little different. You're still looking for guys that contributed. I, I don't think you want to go with Eastern Mel Sopcher type of guys that, hey, well, he was a five-star. Okay, what did he do at his college uh, of choice out of high school? Nothing. He, he was hurt all the time. He, he didn't play at all. He's got like, you know, four snaps or whatever. I mean, I think, you know, you get to the, the cusp guys, though, too, like, you know, maybe a Brendan Rice. Who Brendan Rice at Colorado wasn't great, but he did contribute and he was a starter. So that's sort of a, a, you know, kind of a gray area. I think at wide receiver going forward, you probably don't go after those guys because I think you can get Xavier Worthy types. If he ends up in the portal, a lot of people expect he's going to go to USC. Well, he's a really good player at Texas. He was a freshman All-American. He's an all-conference level player. So that's the kind of guy you go, yeah, green light on that type of guy. He can make an impact and play right away for us. Uh, knowing that might shake up your roster a little bit uh, with some of your sophomores or your redshirt freshmen because you're kind of recruiting over them. Um, but, you know, at offensive line, you got a guy, you mentioned uh, Damian George out of uh, at Alabama. We talked already about, you know, Alabama knows what they have. You know, they do a pretty good self-evaluation of their own roster. Um, this is a guy that played, I think he played like, you know, a dozen games in 2021. He started some games at right tackle. But 2022, he hasn't done anything. I think uh, I, I read 20 snaps at right tackle. Um, uh, you know, I mean, is that the guy that you really go for? You could use some interior offensive linemen, what have you. Um, but it seems like you're looking for the guys that have played and started. You might get better results going for maybe a mid-major school or even a Division two school for a player uh, that has been really good at that level. I mean, I think that's where you've seen just across the board in college football, those guys that are coming up from, you know, division three, division two, uh, that are like all American level players at, at those schools, those guys moving in to the, you know, division one level and playing at these power five schools have, have majority of those guys have been pretty impactful I and mean, been good players. And so, you know, it's, it's one of those guys, again, a proven commodity at his former school versus a guy that. You know, you're going back to his high school film and, and reminiscing and having nostalgia of recruiting him and how much you liked him as a high school prospect. You know, the writing is on the wall. If he went to that school uh, other than your school and didn't do anything uh, for whatever reason, injuries or not, I just think you got to be real reluctant to recruit those type of players. Absolutely. Uh, other guys that are intending to enter the portal, specifically, these are kind of the Texas A&M guys. Uh, that is wide receiver excuse me, here, right here, Chase Lane. He expects to enter the wide receiver, uh, the portal. Uh, random one, Virginia Tech cornerback DJ Harvey. Uh, if you remember him, he was a USC target uh, out of Palmdale, California. You also have LJ Johnson uh, Jr., 5'10", running back out of Cypress, Texas, uh, number five running back in the 2021 class. 
Uh, Oklahoma was one of his schools that he uh, had up there with him. Uh, Texas A&M linebacker Ish Harris also intends to enter the portal. Uh, also, he was part of the 2022 class. Oklahoma was also an offer for him. Uh, Texas A&M edge Elijah Judy, uh, six foot five, two hundred eighty-five pound edge rusher out of Philadelphia in the 2021 class. So yeah, the Texas A&M uh, departures are already starting to, to pile up here, uh, Jordan. Well, we talked about last week. I know we talked about this in the room. I don't know how much we talked about it in the podcast, but wide receiver Chris Marshall, who's a former USC recruit and a guy that really kind of came down to Texas A&M and USC, uh, he's been suspended for much of the year by Texas A&M. And certainly you have that aspect that you have to evaluate with off-field issues. Um, that's a guy that's probably leaving Texas A&M. And there's been a lot of talk that maybe Anthony Lucas, the former five-star defensive tackle from Arizona, who signed with Texas A&M, might be looking around. I haven't heard anything lately on Walter Nolan, the other five-star defensive tackle, who's actually been a good player for Texas A&M this year. Um, you know, and this is, again, it's it's not cut and dry here. I mean, you know, it's not like a, a hard, solid rule about production at their former school and whether you recruit that guy or not. I think with the linemen – it's a little more open-ended and it's a little more just depends on the situation. Anthony Lucas was actually really good for Texas A&M in their spring game early on in fall camp. People were talking about him being a guy, like he's going to be a guy for us. It really hasn't happened this year. He just, for whatever reason. And then I believe it was reported that he was indefinitely suspended. And again, I don't know the details about that. Uh, we know that there was some issues with uh, some locker room uh, paraphernalia um, as they call it in prison contraband. Um, <laughs> so oh uh, some of these guys ended up uh, on the uh, suspension list, uh, Chris Marshall as well. And so, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with that. And, and you have to figure that out and, and you have to do your research as coaching staff and as a personnel staff, uh, whether you want to bring your guys into the situation where, uh, again, I think USC is, is still building their culture. I think this is something that happens over, you know, a two year, three year period. Everybody say, oh, the culture's changed at USC. It's getting there, certainly, but I think this is something that you have to, you almost have to have rosters and classes and teams come and go and, and that example be set and then see it duplicated again and again. And then you go, all right, this is solidified. The culture is embedded. The expectations are there. And all the players that come in, even if you bring in a potential bad apple, you're not going to spoil the bunch because the culture is solidified and it's strong and it will eventually push out those type of players on its own. And so USC is not quite there yet with that. And so you question, you know, can they bring in a guy that had behavioral issues at his former school? And we could talk about Chris Marshall. You put on that high school film and it's like, this guy's elite. Uh, he was one of those pound the table type guys. When I watched him in high school, I was like, this, this dude is underrated. Uh, I, we had him at like a middling four star and his high school film was like, this guy's a freaking playmaker, his speed. And he's not a, a guy with a, a, a really long football history. He's really more of a basketball player. And he was just kind of acclimating to football the past couple of years. And so um, he's a really good player out of high school. What did he do at Texas A&M? Nothing. He did nothing. Now, that was mostly because of behavioral issues, whereas Anthony Lucas had done some things. So if he ends up in the portal, you do have to kind of look at that and say, okay, Defensive tackle, defensive lineman, hard to get elite guys out of high school. 
the past staff just ignored him for the most part. I don't know what happened. I think they got him on campus after Clay Helton got fired. Um, they didn't really have him around much before that point. So it was a very strange deal with how they recruited him. You know, Arizona guy, you figure is somewhat regional, somewhat local, try to get those guys on campus unofficially as much as possible. And USC just didn't. Um, so, you know, in terms of like, even if he leaves Texas A&M, is USC a viable school? Um, you know, did he have a good relationship with Sean Nua at Michigan? I don't really know. Um, but, you know, all these guys you sort of have to look at in terms of uh, are they productive? And if they weren't productive at the schools that they ended up at, at out of high school, you know, why is that? Why is that? And then position wise. You know, what are the positions that you you might want to take more gambles than others? Wide receiver, I just don't think you got to gamble on guys. Mm -hmm. you know, running back, you don't have to gamble on guys. Even safety, I don't think you really have to gamble on guys. You've got good players there, and you've got some good young players there. So I, I don't necessarily need to reach for some of these players um, that might have some asterisks next to their name in the portal. Gerard, I, I really apologize uh, for doing this, but, you know, I did want to – kind of wanted to do like a brief little transfer portal preview but i i didn't realize that you know the portal will be officially open by the time we do our next episode so i did want to kind of throw you a curveball i did want you to give me usc's five biggest needs uh that they can hit with the portal now i know you're probably going to say well we don't know who's leaving for the nfl draft that's fair and we also don't know who's leaving for uh, through the portal themselves, like who could enter the portal for the Trojans. And we expect some some guys to do that, uh, especially out of the uh, defensive back room. That's, that's a position we expect to to have some of that we expect. I would expect some of those lower end reserve offensive linemen to do the same. But I just wanted you to kind of give me your your top five needs that you would hit hard for the portal you know in a vacuum you know you don't really have like i said you don't know who's leaving or who's uh going to be leaving via draft or portal from this team but i just wanted to give you mine real quick so i could stall for you uh just <laughs> briefly uh number one for me i have here and just very briefly explaining everyone that would be number one offensive tackle i'm being specific with this because you know usc is going to lose bobby haskins you're going to lose Andrew Voorhees, who could play tackle. I know you have a good class coming in, but none of those guys are sort of like a five-star Francis Magoa, Sam Sampson kind of deal who can step in right away and maybe be your a day one guy. You know, Mason Murphy has flashed a lot. He has still kind of struggled at times. You know, Cortland Ford, we don't really know what's going on with that situation, a guy who's sort of really fallen down the depth chart and possibly could be a guy who leaves through the portal for, for greener pastures. But I think you could use some older veteran offensive tackle help. And especially if a guy with, you know, a blue chip background that has playing experience, you know, that jumps in there. I definitely think USC would be all over that to get a premier guy to block for your potential Heisman winner as a junior. I still think you need more offensive tackle help. So that's number one there. Number two would be defensive tackle. You know, USC, you know, as well as the run game has played run defense, excuse me, has played. Over the last couple of weeks, I still think you need much more impact players on the interior. Uh, you know, Tuli Tupelotu will be gone next year. He's a guy you've moved around a lot, mainly plays on the edge, but he's a guy who has helped you in the middle. I still think you're going to need some bigger bodies in there. Uh, Brandon Peely will be graduating. He'll be moving on. That's a big uh, departure for them. 
So they're definitely going to need some more guys on the interior. Uh, defensive line class, you know, not really sure who's going to be able guy who can step up right away in 2023. They don't have any, you know, surefire day one guys outside of possibly Mateo if they can, you know, land that commitment in December. But Mateo defense who? attack, Mateo. Mateo who? What's his, what's his last name? Uh, don't make me do it. Oh, okay. Don't make me do it. Please, please, please. Ugiangale. Ugiangale. I, I don't understand this because I could say DJ Ugiangale very correctly. And now I cannot do it with Mateo. I don't know what happened. They're the same last name. I don't know what happened. I lost my mojo, Gerard. I lost my mojo. And Mateo I apologize. Ungale. There you go. Yeah, Uyangile. That that was the pronunciation, and then it kind of just became Uyangile, and it's Uyangale. like you really say it fast enough in the beginning. And I don't know. That's more of just what I hear on TV. Again, when we talked to his dad way back in the day when he was with Winter Circle, uh, when DJ was with Winter Circle, not Mateo, when, when DJ was with Winter Circle and he was a freshman, and we first talked to Dave, and it was – think after a camp i can't remember when we talked to him but uh they were talking about how to pronounce his last name because you know it was kind of crazy uh we all thought man this kid's gonna be a great tight end or this kid's gonna be a great defensive end and he was just so big you know i mean i i think actually dj probably weighs less now than maybe he did like his uh freshman sophomore year like he was a he was a big kid uh and so uh yeah it, it sort of changed the some of the samoan names and the Polynesian James in general, like in high school, it's one way. And then all of a sudden, I don't know if somebody just sits down as like, you know, phonically, we need to write this out. And then it becomes different, you know? And a lot of times I get, you know, it's, it's just not that big a deal. Um, you know, it's some people say it this way. Some people say it that way. And I'm like, I want to know how you say it. <laughs> it's, it is a big deal. So yeah. Ui Angalale is. Uh, Ui Angalale. Uh, yeah. Ui Angalale. Uh, that would be definitely the guy that could be an impact player on the defensive line uh, on the defensive line right away just because of the, the athleticism and the body. You know, a lot of people bring up uh, questions about his production at the high school level and, you know, how dominating has he been at the high school level and has not been dominant enough. I know that you have a source that sometimes you see on campus that is not a very big fan of Mateo Ungulele, <laughs> but um, there are others like Greg Biggins and what have you that uh, believe he uh, it has the ability to be an impact player right away. And certainly, I mean, physically, he's the one guy that's left on the board that at the defensive line position, you could see, um, you know, at 270, 275, 280, maybe by the time he gets on campus, uh, being able to get in the first rotation right away. Uh, moving on with my list, number three, interior offensive lineman. That was something they struggled to bring in uh, last season's uh, transfer portal season. I know Cooper Lovelace, you know, kind of out of the Juco ranks, not really transfer portal, but, you know, they did lose Max Gibbs, who was a guy who was starting for them, or the backup, excuse me, starting with the second unit in interior offensive line. So that was a position they really could have bolstered with some veteran help. And I still think they'll they'll need some of that. I think, you know, if Justin Dietrich comes back, which I assume he will, you're kicking him to center for the vacated Brett Nealon spot. You have some room to play around with those interior spots. Do you move Mason Murphy in? Do you have Jonah, you know, who's played really well at right tackle? Do you kick him in? And, you know, we've seen him play interior uh, this season when Haskins has gone down and they've needed to shuffle that line around 
So Monheim is an option. I know they have some good interior guys coming in. Alani Noah, uh, Amos Talalele, but are they ready to step up You know er, that early? Again, you're protecting a potential Heisman winner. Keep him upright. I think you want to go get some interior guys. Gino Quinones has gotten some playing time. Is he ready to be the, ga- the guy uh, on day one as a starter? I don't know. So I think it would help to go get a guy, especially if a talented guy with starting experience goes, bring him in, grab transfer, whatever. You're like, hey, come block for a uh, Heisman winner. Let's uh, let's start you in, plug him in one of the guard spots, whatever. You know, maybe take two of those guys, whatever it may be, as you get the young guys ready. Interior offensive line, number three on my spot. Number four, defensive end. Like I said, you're losing Tuli Tupelo too. You're going to lose Nick Figueroa, who's played more rush end uh the back half of the season but a guy who can play at that you know hand in the ground kind of spots playing more up but i still think you're going to lose some the sack leader from this year guy who's playing on the edge i think you need more help there so i if you can get an impact guy defensive lineman maybe a guy you can move around similar to him again mateo if you get him you know all the best all the all the better but i still think you would want some defensive end help to come in on that front as you try to rebuild that and get that talent pool back up. And then five, I, I went back and forth with the fifth spot. I don't think you need running back, linebacker, or excuse me, running back, wide receiver. But I have linebacker at the fifth spot. And I kind of go back and forth with that. Look, you're bringing in Tackett Curtis. You're bringing in a David Peavy. You, and I'm not talking about edge. I'm talking about interior linebacker. You know, you're going to lose Shane Lee. You're going to have Eric Gentry back. But I still think you want more depth there you don't really know what's going to happen beyond those guys many noah or excuse me to a cv namora and Raylan go forth what do they do after this season uh you know carson tabarachi tabarucci uh he's been battling an injury this uh this season hasn't played a, a lick you know what what's his development look like you know he's a guy who moved to linebacker as a true freshman when he got on campus at utah so still learning the position i think maybe you would want to bring in a guy you can kind of rotate in, maybe let uh, rotate in with Tackett until he feels, you know, confident uh, to to take over that mic position. Or if you have Gentry play that mic position and uh, Tackett at that wheel spot, whatever it may be, I still think you would want to bring in some more athleticism for that middle linebacker spot. And those are my five, and I'm going to stop talking now. Hey, that was great. I mean, that's the most you've spoken probably in the last three weeks. I'm exhausted. How do you do this? Congratulations, Chris Trevino. You've hit a milestone. (laughs) Um, I'm going to disagree with your rankings. Sure. I'm I'm going to be a little different. I wouldn't want you to be on the show if all we did was agree with each other. (laughs) Yeah, true, true. Um, I'm I'm probably going to go the way of the pair style. And I'm going to say, number one, defensive tackle. Okay. Defensive tackle. Fair enough. Tackle, interior, defensive lineman. They have to get better, bigger, more athletic at that position, first and foremost. And I think that is the one thing that, I mean, losing Tuli, Tui Polotu is going to be huge for them. They don't use him inside, especially later in the season. He's been used more on the exterior. He's been more of an edge. If he's used inside, he's used sort of as a linebacker, and then maybe he rushes inside. And so he's not been a prototypical three technique or zero technique but i think still just the fact that he's not there and you can't use him inside and you have to replace that even partially is a big deal 
And you still should have someone else that's going to be there. They're going to lose Brandon Peely's or only big body, quite frankly, on the roster at, you know, 300 pounds plus. You got to get bigger and you've got to get more athletic inside. And as I said before, when we were talking about Justin Scott, the 2024 five star out of Chicago, these are the type of guys that you've got to be able to cherry pick on the recruiting trail or potentially out of the portal to be able to be elite, to be able to have a defense that's going to play at the highest levels and be consistently good. Uh, you have to have one of those type of players. And so um, I think that is where if you can get that guy and they'll be that guy in the portal, they'll, they'll be one or two of those guys. You got to try to get one of them. And so I think that ranks as number one, it's, it's one of those sort of money positions, even from a draft standpoint, you know, you've got quarterback, you've got three technique. Uh, if you've got like a lockdown cornerback, that's a really high position that's usually drafted. I think with the portal, it's going to kind of be the same thing where, you know, the quarterbacks will be very big deal to be able to get, and we've seen guys plug and plug in um, and play so well at all these places like Bo Nix and Caleb Williams, uh, Jaden Delora. Uh, so I think that will continue to be a big deal. But I think defensive tackle as well. So I say defensive tackle number one. I say offensive tackle number two. Um, I agree with you replacing Bobby Haskins and potentially maybe upgrading. Yes, they've had some guys that have come in and we've seen some good development from Mason Murphy uh, just this year, you know, from where he started to where he is now, you feel comfortable about him being in the starting lineup in 2023 and, and moving forward as a redshirt freshman. Uh, we will see some movement there in the sort of, you know, second to third team guys uh, with USC where you'll see some transfers for sure. And I think some of that will be, you know, USC kind of showing some guys the door and saying, Hey, you know, we just don't think you're going to be able to play here. Uh, we're going to try to get to a better uh, place with our depth um, from a quality standpoint. And if, you know, you haven't played here in the last couple of years, maybe you're not going to play here. We'll see what type of patience the coaching staff has, but then you're also on the other side, looking at guys that want to play and think that they should maybe have made up more of an impact at this point in their career. So yeah, there's going to be some movement uh, both uh, to and fro, I think for uh, the, the offensive line. And if you can get a franchise offensive tackle, and a player that can come in and, and do some things for you, um, I think that's definitely going to be big. Both those positions, defensive tackle and offensive tackle, very difficult to get good players out of the portal, but you have to try, and that has to be of the utmost importance because it can really be a game changer for you. You know, you've got a Heisman Trophy potential winning quarterback. You want to protect his blind side as much as possible. So I think defensive tackle and offensive tackle, and then I would say uh, defensive end, rush end. I, I think because they're losing so much, again, Tui, Tui Pelotu is going to be gone. They're probably going to lose uh, They're going to lose Nick Figueroa. They're going um, to potentially uh, maybe lose some, some other players here. You know, Solomon Bird, he has technically another year uh, ahead of him. He looked on a trajectory as a guy that would leave early and was having some good games there where he had a sack a game and he had a, you know, usually a turnover. And then he sort of faded a little bit. So I'm not really sure where his draft status is, what type of draft grade he could get. I feel like he's probably gone if he can get drafted. If they say, you know, you could go fifth, sixth round, I think because he's got a family and he's just, you know, he's an older guy, I think he could potentially leave. He's a red shirt um, senior with, I think, a COVID year, I think is basically where he's at right now. So uh, I think he could potentially go. So 
you know, you're talking about your three most productive pass rushers there with Tui Pelotu, Nick Figueroa, and Solomon Bird. So I think it's very important to get a, a player at that position. I think it's unlike defensive tackle and offensive tackle, a place you can get good players. I mean, you've got Solomon Bird out of the porthole, uh, the secondary porthole in the in the late spring. Um, USC had offered quite a few other guys, the twins that ended up at UCLA, they went after. Uh, you have Romello Height, who you got, who, you know, could be a good player for USC. I mean, he was a pencil. He was a starter for USC at the beginning of the year uh, over Bird and, and, and over Corey Foreman and, and some of these players, but because of that shoulder injury. Now, that shoulder injury could be chronic. It could be an issue. We just don't know. He needed surgery on it. So that's a little bit up in the air in terms of what kind of impact he can make in the future. But he is potentially a very good player. You hope to hold on to Corey Foreman because he'll probably get some offers from NIL to somebody, you know, that that wants to maybe bring him in and say, hey, you know, you're a former five-star. You haven't been that productive at USC. These flashes, we could bring you in. You could be a great player for us. So we'll see what happens there. But, you know, he's a guy at, at USC that could be a good player. We like Devin Tompkins, you know, down, yeah, down the way a little Tompkins. bit. I love him. I don't know if he's really more of a Russian. I think he's more of a defensive end. I think he's I really more – of a, you know, a, a guy like, like really uh, more of the position that you've seen from Tui Pelotu uh, than a, an actual edge rusher stand-up guy like Solomon Bird or, or Corey Foreman or, or Romello Height. So I think he really technically plays on the other side of the line. He Nick could also Corey, be on the interior, too, if you tack on more weight. That's how big he is. Exactly. I mean, he's probably, I don't know, we're, we, he came in like at 225, 230, or at least he was listed at that coming out of high school, and now he's probably 260. Maybe. Um, so he could end up being 270, 275. He could be, you know, very easily, uh, you know, where Nick Figueroa is in terms of a weight. Um, so we'll see, you know, how that goes. But I still think that that rush in position, because you could get a guy, you could get a really good player at that position. Uh, there's been enough of them that have been in the portal and you've shown that you, A, you've got the blueprint for Tui Pelotu and you've had Solomon Bird have some success. You had a lot of success with Nick Figueroa. It was technically a transfer from JC. You could get a potentially a plug and play guy at that position. Could be really good. So that would be probably third um, on my list. Uh, fourth would probably be interior offensive lineman because you're losing Nick Figueroa. Uh, you're going to lose um, Brett Neon. And I think you know we're going to see what happens with Justin. Did you say Nick Figueroa? Uh, no, excuse me. I, uh, Andrew Voorhees, Brett Neon. <laughs> um, Bobby Haskins is an offensive tackle. Justin Dietrich is uh, a, a potential guy who, you know, we don't think he's going to leave, but we don't know for sure. You know, he's had a really good year. Uh, Justin mm -hmm. It's another kind of development guy. I mean, this is a guy that was sort of trapped behind Brett Nealon for the longest time as a center. And, you know, coming out of high school, he was ranked higher. A lot of people thought he would jump Brett Nealon. And, and Nealon would that be the guy that would have to move and maybe play guard and it's been Justin Dietrich, and he's played you know, fantastically well. I mean, he's a guy that I mean, you want to talk about the beginning of the Notre Dame game. He was getting it, man. He was getting it. He was back on his heels, and it wasn't looking good. And they made an adjustment with what they were doing up front, and that interior you know, offensive line played extremely well to close the game out. And so you've also got a bunch of guys there that are like, you know, again, we're talking about like those second-team, borderline third-team guys on the interior that we just don't know what's going to happen to those guys. You know, some of them have, have played a little bit of center. Andrew Melick is a guy that's played some center along with Gino Canones. Gino Canones 
uh, started a game playing. What was he playing? Right guard? I can't remember what he what he, uh, he filled in for Dieter. So right guard, yes. Yeah, and so you've got some guys there that that have played a little bit, but then you've got guys that haven't played at all uh, that that are interior guys. So I think, you know, just like with recruiting out of high school, you're gonna find more quality guards that pop in there, and so guys that might have been very good players that maybe they're just at you know smaller schools or what have you, they could come in and be very good players for you. And so I think that's actually going to be pretty high up there on the list uh, in terms of what you want to get out of the portal and what you you feel like, um, you know, need position where you can get some quality players. And I think last one, at least, I actually think running back, I would put his fifth. Uh, I know they Interesting. got two good, two good, very good running backs right now coming out of high school in uh, Quentin Joyner and Amari Peterson. And I like both those guys. I like that they're 200 pounds plus. They got some power to them, and I think they really, down the line, give you something special uh, as you get into 2024. However, if you can get uh, a, a really special running back like a Travis Dye um, out of the portal, I think you grab that guy because you're going to lose two seniors. You're probably going to lose Austin Jones, and you're, you know you're going to lose Travis Dye. You have put it out there that – you can have a guy transfer in and be an immediate impact player at the running back position, not only this season, but even going back to the Clay Helton staff. They've got some pretty good running backs. And Darren Barlow, I still have hope that Darren Barlow can be a guy that can contribute. I think he's a, a very good player. Um, but you're able to get like Keontae Ingram uh, out of Texas, who was a guy that was, you know, semi-productive uh, at Texas, you know, and, and he basically got benched by Bijan Robinson, who is, you know, the best running back in the country. I think showing that your system is, is so well acclimated to being able to plug in a guy and, and be able to get a talented player and, and thinking that there are going to be some probably surprisingly good players that might be out there. Maybe it is Trevion Henderson, a, a guy that's had, you know, been nicked up and had some injuries. Well, you know what? We got some depth here, and you don't have to get the ball Every time we've shown that, especially during the season, you know, they split a lot of carries with Travis Dye and Austin Jones. I think Lincoln Riley is very cognizant and very aware of how, how much mileage he puts on his players. And, and when it becomes crunch time and he's got to start really riding one back and really getting one guy on uh, the ball. And that's where you started to see Travis Dye sort of took over and become that guy. But at the same time, in that stretch where Travis Dye really became the guy, they got away from the run game a bit. And I think the thing was they were really uh, run. They were they were setting up the run with the pass. And Travis died from a stylistic standpoint was a better running back to just give the ball once here, once there, and he could get some yards for you. You know, he was still running for six, seven yards a carry, but they pass the ball six times in a row, and then they carry, then they give him a carry, and then they go back to passing the ball six times in a row. I don't think that was the best stretch for their offense. I think they are better off closer to what you saw against Notre Dame, they, they maybe could pass the ball more than they did against Notre Dame. But I think more of a, hey, you know what? First and 10, you run the ball. You only get a yard or two. Okay, don't get scared and just go away from the run for the next five, six plays. Run the ball on second and 10. Run the ball on second and eight. It's okay. You can do it. And they did that against Notre Dame, and you saw the success. So um, I think that anybody in the portal has to see – the senior running backs leaving, the success those running backs had, and that offense, and think I could be a dude in that offense. Like, ah, that's a that's an offense that I could become a first round pick 
with success. Yeah, they got some guys there, and, and, and you know, they got a couple of high school guys, but I'm not scared of a couple of high school guys. Yeah, does it potentially shake up that high school class of the two running backs you have? Eh, maybe. You know, I wouldn't want to lose either of those guys, but man, if you can get a dude that's going to be a first, if you can get a Jordan Addison level player, okay? I mean, you're not even Jordan Addison level because we're talking about Bolitnikoff winner. If you can get a guy that's like, you know, first team old conference out of a power five conference and plug him in losing Travis Dye and Austin Jones, you do it, you do it. So I think that would rank up their fifth for me. Well, there you go. I mean, for the most part, we're on the same path and then you go with running back to shake it up. So yeah, Gerard, you just made the show more interesting by going, uh, you zigged while, while I zagged and I don't just, I do not, not disagree about running back. I was thinking about running back because you could obviously bring in a, a star at that position because you don't have it's going to be a young room next year so you probably want an older you know more veteran guy to kind of help you know ease along a relief brown who should have a bigger role and maybe darren barlow is getting you know a, a bigger role as well maybe he takes over that austin jones uh position and then you have the two freshmen two talented freshmen and who's to say they don't you know grab for uh, uh compete for some starting time uh off the bat but yeah if you have you know, like a Travion Henderson go in and wants to come to USC. Yeah, you take him in a heartbeat. I know there's been some injury stuff, but still a guy of that caliber and talent, you know, his freshman season was like, wow, out of this world. So yeah, I I, I do see the the I do see what you're saying about running back. So I And I, I see I, and I see where you know you can make that argument with linebackers, but specifically inside linebacker and being able to have somebody in there that uh you know Tackett Curtis can compete with, and if he's not ready, you still have a guy there. You know, we don't know what's going to happen with Braylon Goldforth. You know, does, does he come back? I, I think he technically has another year of eligibility. Shane Lee does too, you know, but you think Shane Lee transfers to be able to go to the NFL draft? We, we don't know, though. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of an assumption because I don't think either of those guys have necessarily played themselves into the NFL draft for sure, like they're locks. Uh, but at the same time, you know, they're older and if they get a sniff of a grade that says, yeah, you know, you're going to get drafted maybe later rounds, they may still make that jump. See, this is the thing where NIL becomes interesting in terms of retention, because the, the good schools that have good NIL are going to retain these guys that are cusp type draft players. And we've seen, you know, every year almost USC has two or three guys that are jumping into the draft that you go, ah, oh, man, he, he really should have come back. He is not ready for the draft, but they're hoping that they could get signed as a free agent. And maybe they can just work their way on their team, sort of like Nikel Roby has no, I mean, there's been hardly any guys that have been able to do what Nikel Roby did, but you still have that sort of dream in the back of your head. Let me get paid for doing something that I'm doing in college. But now you could get some rent money you know, for, for, for being on the team as a senior, as a starter, and maybe you're not an NFL guy and, and you're not going to get, you know, drafted as a free agent, or you're not going to get drafted at all. And you just, you know, kind of play out your career and you feel like, Hey, you know, we could win a national championship next year. You know, we could do this, we could do that. There could be more retention that we've seen in years past. We are just not necessarily sure how that's all going to play out with Boulevard and NIL and, you know, how much of that money that's going around is, is going to be put on the back end for some of these players that are thinking about maybe leaving um, because they are redshirt juniors or they're redshirt seniors, but they have a COVID year left. 
All right. Well, I think that's a good ending point for a very, you know, spirited transfer portal talk. Even and and props to you, Gerard, for I threw you a curveball there, but you stepped up to the plate and you you hit this one out of the park. So I well, I, I thought you were going to put me on the spot with names. I'm like, dude, we don't. We no, don't no, no, have no. no. I, I just wanted to get some sort of little bit of a transfer portal preview in there. You know, just, for sure, just for sure. So so and, and I I mistimed it. I thought we would have time next week, but no, it's right upon us. It was right upon us. So I, I wanted to get that in very quickly, but. We do have a couple of uh, uh, quick more hitter points to get through, and then we got some listener questions before we wrap this one up. Uh, but Friday Night Lights, you know, the only the real big game in town that was last night was St. John Bosco uh, taking back the CIF Division One championship for modern day. Ended the Bruce Rollinson era with a loss uh, out there in the Rose Bowl and took back a upset. Not, I guess not technically upset, but, you know, they were, modern day was the number one team in the country going in. Bosco gets revenge for a loss that they suffered early in the season. Their only their only loss of the season was to the Monarchs in league play. And Bosco gets the win inside track for a national championship, assuming they get past state. You know, and again, I'm once again assuming that will be a De La Salle matchup up there with the North. But St. John Bosco escapes, I believe it's 22-20. Is that correct? Or 24-22? I, I don't know which one it is, but 24-22. And Bosco stops a uh, two-point conversion late in the game to hold on to that. And Mateo U- U- okay, Mateo Ugiangalele. I think that was okay. Close enough. Close enough. Close enough. Uh, had some pretty good bi- uh, plays on offense. You know, he had a couple, I believe. I know he had one. Really nice touchdown grab in the end zone. I believe he had a nice one-handed uh, grab that put them in the uh, the red zone. I don't believe that was a touchdown, but he was making some plays there on offense. So, Bosco, congrats to them and, you know, getting back on top of uh, CIF Division One. Yeah, you know, Bruce Rollinson last game wasn't able to, uh, to win uh, the game that a lot of people that I talked to <laughs> felt that. Uh, Bosco was going to win the first game. Modern day would win the second game and it turned flipped around. And so, um, you know, congratulations to Jason Negro. Uh, you still owe him a stake. I do. Uh, I, the only reason I am here is because of Jason Negro. If I was not called up by Jason Negro, I would not be working at two, four, seven. So, and I do absolutely owe him a stake. You and probably a lot of other uh, St. John Bosco alums. Uh, I know, I know a few of them. Uh, that are uh, probably, you know, want to get uh, Jason a beer for that big win. So, uh, yeah, big win for them. And, um, you know, St. John Bosco rolling. They're going to have a bunch of talent next year. Modern Day is going to have a bunch of talent next year, too. You know, Modern Day technically probably, and this is why I think a lot of people felt like they would win the game, you know, this time around as opposed to earlier in the season. They are pretty young, especially in the defensive secondary um, just defensively in general, you know, you got guys like Nasir Wyatt there, uh, that are just, um, you know, stud players and the whole back end is full of 24, 25, uh, level players that are, you know, just younger guys that will be there. So yeah, uh, definitely going to see these guys, you know, playing against each other, probably number one, number two, maybe even next year, you know, you're going to get Elijah Brown back for modern day. Uh, Pierce Clarkson is going to leave. So it's going to be interesting to see for, St. John Bosco, if the Braves are able to bring in somebody that's a transfer uh, from somewhere um, or they're going to be able to bring somebody up from uh, the, the – Out of the, the high small, school portal? 
the high school portal, yeah. But if they've got somebody uh, tucked away that they feel confident that can come in. I, I haven't watched any of their games where they've blown anybody out to remember who they actually brought in uh, for Pierce Clarkson. But, yeah, there's always that potential. I mean, they brought in a bunch of guys there at the end of the summer, you know, kind of like out of nowhere from Centennial. They had a bunch of guys that came in. So um, there's always that potential that they could bring in somebody at the quarterback position, probably a little earlier in the spring. You don't want to have a quarterback come in in August, you know, to, to be able to compete for a starting job. You want to bring those guys in early, but uh, there'll be guys out there for sure that, uh, you know, might see an opening and decide that they go to Bosco and that um, could be a big impact on, you know, who's going to win that Trinity league. Rolling into the Friday night schedule, because there are still high school games that have to go on uh, for high school football. Gerard. There is a December 2nd schedule. Yeah, the, the high school games are not over. It, it seems like it's over because, you know, you had the Bosco modern day matchup at the Rose Bowl and just seems like, you know, the two best teams in the state, the two best teams per, potentially in the country already played. So, hey, that was a championship game. No, technically not. There is a California Bowl game where the Northern California team will come down and, and play that winner of the Bosco modern day game. And so, uh, Sarah from Mateo, California, not Sarah uh, from Gardena or J. Sarah, but Sarah from San Mateo. And they've been there uh, plenty of times. It's um, kind of taken over as being the annual uh, open division champion uh, from De La Salle. Uh, oh, so it's not De La Salle this year. Yeah, it's not De La Salle. I, I mean, okay. Sarah, like I say, Sarah's been there a few times already. So they're not new to this. And uh, they're going to play down at Saddleback College. They're going to play St. John Bosco. Bakersfield Liberty. Uh, home of Grant Bucky, the fighting uh, Grant Bucky's, the, the, the fighting Bucky's Trojan uh, committed defensive lineman um, going to be down here at Yorba Linda. They're going to play uh, in a, I think that's the division one game at 6 PM and uh, modern day will be playing in the playoffs. <laughs> They're still playing in the playoffs, Chris, but it's Chula Vista modern day Catholic from San Diego team that you're very familiar with. They're going to be playing at Downey on Friday and uh, Lincoln, San Diego, uh, home of the Fighting David Peavies is going to be playing at Sierra Canyon, 7.30 on Friday night. Uh, I, I will say that uh, Liberty and uh, St. John Bosco, I think they play on Saturday, and uh, those other games are on Friday night. Lincoln beat Carlsbad uh, a couple of weeks ago. I don't think we talked about that at Snapdragon, but that was a bit shocking. I, I really thought Carlsbad and Julian Sand would have won that game, but Lincoln ended up edging them out, and so Lincoln is going to be playing at uh, Sierra, Canyon, Sierra Canyon this Friday. Uh, which will be uh, congruent to the USC game, which I think the USC game is at what, like 5 p.m. Um, local time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, that game will be, um, you know, right afterwards, and uh, maybe we'll be able to go up and uh, see some Sierra Canyon football. Uh, Lincoln, the last time they were in that area, they played Bishop Alamany and they got trounced. So uh, you know, they got a little San Diego section pride on the line here. Uh, don't want to see them get uh, blown out by Sierra Canyon, but Sierra Canyon is good. They got played. Sierra Canyon is better probably than, um, than uh, Alamany was this year. I, I can't remember if they played head to head, but uh, Sierra Canyon's, they got some dudes. They got some, some good players and uh, they've been pretty good here the last few years. They kind of taken over to some extent to those Calabasas teams that were really good. Seems like Sierra Canyon sort of filled that void. Calabasas is still competitive, but Sierra Canyon is, is sort of uh, the team in that area in the Valley that's uh, the big dogs anymore. Wait, so Downey uh, won the CIF championship? For that, yeah, for that division. For that division? For that division, yeah. What division is that? Oh, I want to say it's four. Division 
four. I just want to check real quick. Yep, you got it. Uh, I just want to say shout out to Downey. They were one of my beat schools when I first started as a high school reporter for the uh, the Long Beach Press-Telegram, Downey, Sangura Valley League, uh, Suburban League. So shout out to them. And yeah, I the, one of the last games I ever covered or one of the most memorable games I covered uh, with uh, was Downey. They went to the CIF championship and they just lost a absolute brutal, like one of the most brutal games you'll ever see uh, score the go ahead touchdown with like um, maybe like less than five minutes left. It was like on a fourth down kind of Hail Mary play the defender chasing the quarterback ripped off his own helmet, which by the way is a penalty and should have been a first down. Uh, they made the touchdown catch. The The ref called it uh, incomplete. The ref called it that he hit the the ball hit the turf, and even though that was one of the worst calls you'll ever see, you know that guy's probably working in the Pac-12 right now. But it was a terrible call, and I had it on footage. And I remember I showed head coach Jack Williams the play after the game when I was interviewing him uh, for my story, and he just gave like this reaction, like, "Are you kidding me?" But he, you know, kept his composure and just you know gr- grinned through it. So. Uh, shout out to Coach Jack Williams and the Downey Vikings for for getting back uh, to the CIF championship and winning the CIF championship. I know he has a couple already. So uh, shout out to the Vikings. Just wanted to say that. Uh, yeah. 12 and 2 season. So, yeah, that'll be, a, that'll be a good one. I hope they win state. Jack is for awesome. Sure. Uh, Mark Rand, the athletic director, awesome. Always good people to deal with. Uh, the fighting Jabari Ruffins. Uh, no, pun, uh, no, no pun intended, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, I remember they had a really good running back that year, uh, Huff. Uh, I forget, not Brandon Huffman, but his uh, Josh Huff. <laughs> really big running back, like like six foot, like 215 pounds, really good. Uh, oh, and they're playing, like you said, modern day Chula Vista, who I know uh, over there as well, uh, Coach Verlaine. Uh, he's a good friend of mine, and, you know, so I got no people on both sides. So I guess I shouldn't say all in on Downey, but, you know, either way, I, I know somebody's going to win a, a state championship that game, but, yeah. So some fun matchups. Uh, and speaking of fun matchups, you know, week 14, college football, this is a good segue into our final point of the show for questions is our just a little look ahead to uh, the schedule. And Gerard, USC has the privilege of playing for a conference championship with a lucky other several schools, uh, that being Michigan and Purdue will be playing for the Big Ten championship. LSU versus Georgia playing for the SEC championship. And TCU versus Kansas State for the Big 12 championship. Jar, you can only watch one of those games. Which one are you watching? You know, I probably TCU, Kansas State. Kansas State is like a dangerous team, you know? They're, they're a real sort of – they're like Oregon State. You just kind of don't know what to expect from Kansas State. They, they can be world beaters sometimes. And so I, I would think – the most interesting matchup there, even though TCU is coming away from a blowout from Iowa State, which is something you do not see very much from Matt Campbell teams. They got absolutely boat raced in that game. Uh, I think Kansas State TCU is probably the best game. LSU dropping that game to Texas A&M was horrible. Something that we might need to talk about here is Texas A&M fans, Aggies, Giggum, rushing the field after they beat Giggum. <laughs> yay or nay on, <laughs> on rushing the field when you've won what four games five games during here's the, the thing here's the thing i see it both ways i see it you beat the number five team of the 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 country you know 
It's a emotional game. You've had a crappy season. You know, why not? And what has Texas A&M done? You know, they're not, you know, Alabama or anything. You know, they're not, they don't have, you can't really like poo-poo them because like they're just Texas A&M, you know, they're just kind of there, you know, they don't, they're not like a perennial national championship contender or anything like that. I know they you know, think they are with, you know, hiring Jimbo Fisher away, uh, but they really haven't won anything. You know, it's not like we can, uh, uh, you know, put them in this category of, you, you, oh, you're not allowed to rush the field like USC. You would never want you would never say USC. Uh, USC is not a team that rushes the field. You know, Alabama's not a team that rushes the field. Georgia at this point is a team that doesn't rush the field. Those are blue buds. Blue buds don't rush the field. Texas A&M, they're not a blue blood. They can rush the field. But I also see it like you have the number one recruiting class in the country. You think you're this program and yet you're rushing the field. You know, they have great fan support. I get it. Uh, they sell out every stadium, uh, every game there at Kyle Field. But, yeah, you you you. if you're trying to be – like those schools I mentioned, or, you know, with USC getting back there, you can't rush the field. And yeah, you were a dumpster fire this year. Uh, so I'm probably leaning towards the, 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 the way of, yes, they beat the number five team in the country, but they've had a terrible year. They just wanted something to celebrate, you know? So I, I, I'll, I'll allow it, but I, I, I understand why you're, uh, you're up in arms against it. Tell me you're not a blue blood without telling me you're not a blue blood. <laughs> You rush the field against the number five. But we knew that. But we knew that they're not the blue blood. Five-ish. It's not even like a really good LSU team. I mean, USC probably jumps them anyways uh, after they beat Notre Dame. So, yeah, I don't know. What if LSU was undefeated? I mean, if LSU's number one undefeated, then yeah. I mean, I guess whatever. That There's that feeling. I I remember USC did rush the field kind of, sort of, when they beat Stanford many years ago when Ed Ergeron was the interim coach. And they just hadn't beat Stanford, and that was like a good Stanford team. And so I recall like a semi sort of field rush. It, it was it wasn't really a field rush, but it was. Um, but yeah, that that was surprising to me when I saw everybody on the field because they beat LSU, who I just yeah didn't feel like uh, didn't feel like that kind of game for for rushing the field. But nevertheless, they play Georgia this weekend, and. Um, yeah, I just – I don't think uh, LSU is really that team that's going to beat Georgia. You know, people were talking like that could be an upset uh, before LSU lost to a and I think LSU, man, they just – they're putting a lot on uh, Jaden Daniels, and he's got them out of some sticky situations. There's just not, I think, a lot of great quarterback play in the SEC this year. Uh, everybody was sort of looking at Bryce Young and feeling like, wow, you know, he's leading the way. But I think team for team – uh, they haven't been all that great, and Jaden Daniels has really raised the level. I mean, if LSU didn't have Jaden Daniels here, man, I don't know where they would be. They might, they might be, you know, playing for a bowl game, period, <laughs> rather than the playoffs. Talk about Jaden Daniels, like really rebounding, sort of his like, I guess, NFL stock. I felt like he had a really good start to Arizona State, and then it kind of plateaued a little bit. But back here, SEC, you know, ripping it up you know, gotten them some big wins. And I feel like he's really uh, heightened his uh, initial stock when he was, uh, you know, starting as a true freshman over there for the Sun Devils. Uh, But yeah, I'll always remember, you know, talking to Jaden Daniels at a passing event at, I believe it was the Battle of the Beach. And he had not yet had his, you know, 
growth spurt when he just brought it up to six foot three. He was still he was shorter than me, Gerard. And, you know, it's just it's just cool to see, you know, where he's at now and kind of how quickly, you know, a recruit who maybe, you know, doesn't get talked about that much has become like a star uh, well, in, a, in a span of a year. I mean, West Coast, it's just, again, like we see that out here. You see guys like Clay Matthews Jr., who is a walk on at 6'3", 200 pounds, and then gets drafted ahead of Brian Cushing at, you know, 6'3", 235, 240 uh, as a first-round pick. And that happens out here. When you go back east into the south, a lot of those guys, like what you see is what you get. That guy coming out of high school, he ain't going to get a whole lot bigger. He ain't going to get a whole lot faster. He's good right out of the gates, and he's going to be good for you right out of the gates as a freshman. But, you know, you're not going to see like this uh, real peak, you know, hit up as you're getting into like sophomore, junior year in college. So some of these guys that uh, are are from these states, you I, I don't know why it is. You know, that's been a question that's come up time and time again. Um, you know, what's in the water or whatever. But, uh, yeah, I mean, out here it just seems like you get a lot of kids that are kids you know they're like they're like real kids like you talk to you know a, a guy that, that's um you know a four-star five-star guy in the west coast and like yeah man that's a kid that i went to high school with like those type of kids and then you talk to a dude back east or whatever from you know georgia alabama it's like this day we have dudes like this in my high school this guy looks like he's 28 years old it looks like he's got a freaking 405 a, a 401k 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 not 10K, 401K, right? 401K. I said 405 for some reason. I don't know why that came out of my mouth. That's a freeway, not a uh, a retirement plan. <laughs> there we go. Uh, that means we're kind of losing it a little bit. So I think yeah. it's time we How move How many into... hours have we been on, Chris? What is the update? On, we're, uh... we're, we're less than three hours. I just dropped my pen. So if you hear me rustling around, but we are less than three hours. I've been re- I've, it's been requested that we I let you go. Like, I don't really bring you in as much. Well, you usually sound, this is sounding you usually terrible do let me go. I'm bending I mean, down to pick up my pen. Huh? We, you, you usually do let me go. I mean, we just talk, right? Yeah, we, I mean, I try to maybe hold you back like 90, like 10% of the time. But 90% of the time, I just let you do whatever you want, you know? Yeah, for sure. All right, let's get to listener questions. We are wandering. I know, but people wanted people wanted this one long because there a lot of people are driving to to Vegas and yeah, but we we already determined longer is not better. We're we're trying to find the sweet spot and uh, we we don't have the sweet spot. We're not going to get that sweet spot. We already just proved that. But okay, Uh, we're going to listen to questions. And if you have a question, remember you can email us at podcast at uspeople.com. Just make sure you put the composite, 10K, Hurricane, recruiting podcast, whatever. So I'll get it in uh, my inbox, and you can also DM me. That's been a popular way to send me questions. As always, do not email Gerard. He will not respond to you. Uh, our first question comes from Drew. With the early signing period just around the corner, do you see any of the recently decommitted players from other programs committing to the Trojans? Also, what are your thoughts on the number of players the Trojans will get in the transfer portal? Five or fewer or more than five? Keep up the great work. Love the pod. Drew, as far as the first part, uh, we've kind of touched on that a little bit. We're still waiting to see the full extent of who is going to be decommitting as we've been keeping track. Um, you know, I guess Walker Lyons is maybe the the top one right now. Uh, the guys that come up the board, as Trud said, still probably going to be Stanford. And in terms of the portal, I would say more than five. Yeah, I do too. I, I think potentially it's, um, 
depends on the quality of the talent pool, as always. And USC's got to be a bit more picky this time around. We kind of talked a little bit about that, the core team and how successful they've been. I don't know if you want to just, you know, throw that away and kind of turn it upside down again. But, um, yeah, I, I think more than five, uh, definitely. I, I, Yeah, for sure, more than five. Um, in terms of, you know, guys that are flips, I mean, C.J. Walker was one of those guys at one point. Uh, there could be, you know, some other guys potentially that, uh, you know, it, it it follows two things. It follows the season and guys maybe gets closer to the holidays and they start to get cold feet about going farther away from home. And then there's also the coaching changes that are just beginning to happen. You know, it was funny because really the coaching carousel was really quiet. And then all of a sudden it just was like, boom, man, like one weekend, like everybody was like, okay, we got our guy. It was like musical chairs. You know, we really didn't hear a whole lot. We're like, okay, Matt Rule's out there. He hasn't really been talked about with a bunch of different schools. Came up with Nebraska, never really heard his name come up very much with Auburn. And so it was just like, boom. So and that can happen on the recruiting trail too, you know, with these coaching changes and um, guys leaving. And it could happen with even with USC. You know, they've got a good coaching staff. There's a lot of schools that are going, man, they got something going on there. Like, we need to get a part of that. We need to go give a guy a, a, a coordinator title or something to try to get him away. And so we'll see how that potentially impacts things for USC. But you know what? They got a lot of stability there at the top. And that is something they haven't had for many, many cycles. And so I think that more than anything is uh, is going to give them an advantage as we get down to the nitty gritty of uh, the early signing period. And even the late signing period, because some of these guys like Roderick Pleasant and uh, Nicholas Harbor, uh, et cetera, are not going to sign early. You know, even some of USC's commits are not going to actually sign early. You got to, well, I shouldn't say that. Some of those guys are going to sign early uh, that are commits, but they're not going to actually be mid-year grads. So the fact that that door is open, um, like a Dijon Lafitte, uh, you, you know, he's going to take an official visit to Tennessee coming up. Maybe they can, you know, <laughs> try to get him not to sign early. So you have to always keep that in the back of your mind as well. So, there's a lot of craziness that can happen. Like you get into December and it's like, oh yeah, okay, we're in December. We kind of know what's going to happen. And this guy's solid. And you, you know, you hear rumors and all of a sudden he gets on Twitter and, or his mom gets on Twitter and says, we're, we're going to this school. We're good to go. And then boom, you know, the next week it's like, uh, uh, decommitted, uh, respect my decision, no interviews. And it's like, okay, we've seen this. Movie before. We've seen this movie before. Uh, for the two-star podcast, do you think, that's from uh, Jagger uh, for the two star. My guy Jagger uh, for the two star pod. Do you think USC's better defensive performance had any correlation that they slowed it down and ran the ball ball more than usual on offense and gave the defense more time to rest on the sidelines in between drives? This is an interesting question. I was thinking about it. I also think I'm not saying that the. I mean, I would assume extra rest at any point would help as well. But I also think the fact that Notre Dame isn't really a fast paced team also kind of played into it more. They're more of a, you know, control the ball. They're not getting up to the line super fast, you know, making the stressing the defense in terms of get, let's get, we got to get lined up and all that. So I think more of it played into just being Notre Dame, more of a slower paced team and not, you know, one of these high octane uh, PAC 12 offenses that, like so go, go, go. Well, when we think back and we look at the season with the games where you would feel like the defense played well, I mean, the two games that 
pop into my head are Washington State and Oregon State. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Oregon State, also a team that's not really an up-tempo type of team, and they want to run it more. USC didn't really run the ball a whole lot in that game, though. Um, but with Washington State, yes, they ran the ball, especially in, in the second half, a lot in that game and really seemed to take the air out of the, the ball and, and the fight away from Washington State. And Washington State is a pretty prolific offense statistically. They, they have a very good offense. So I would say that's probably their best defensive performance, truly. Uh, I mean, you know, you can argue Oregon State too. Oregon State is actually – they've done some things. I mean, they put up a bunch of points on Oregon. Um they run the ball against most teams pretty well, and they just did not run the ball well against USC. Uh, it, the Notre Dame game, I think the defense played well. Defense gave Notre Dame, and this has been true of several games, and this is why mainstream media just doesn't get it. You see a lot of bad takes on, on social media uh, from mainstream pundits or, or even sometimes opposing writers from schools that, oh, USC's defense is bad. USC will give up what they don't think the other team can beat them with. And I think that's very exemplatory of the Notre Dame game. They did not believe that Drew Pine could beat them. They did not believe that they were going to be beat on the outside by those receivers. And so I think USC gave just gave some of that. They didn't really try to attack Drew Pine very much with blitzes. Um, I think the pass rush wasn't very good for USC in that game. Uh, I know they got a couple sacks, but it wasn't very consistent. And a lot of those plays downfield in the passing game were because Drew Pine just had too much time. And so those long crossing routes and things like that, I don't think USC was really feeling like they were going to beat them doing that. So they gave them some of that. On the flip side, they know that, you know, the games that Notre Dame has won, they've established the running game and they've been a very good running team. And so that was the strength that USC wanted to take away. And that's the strength they did take away. And they've done that to multiple teams this year, you know, their strength, uh, the opposing offenses is the thing that they sort of prepare for and they, 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 they focus on and they're usually pretty good at it. And they've been very physical up front. And again, that goes back to the Oregon state game. They were a physical team against Oregon state and Oregon state wasn't thinking that that was going to happen. And they've been like that with a lot of these run teams. So from that standpoint, it's, it's very good news that a team that early in the season passed the ball as much as they did, USC still had the ability to be physical up front because, you know, my mantra for many, many years, for many, many years has been when you have an air raid type of system and you pass the ball constantly, it really hurts your team defensively in preparation uh, over the course of the year because in practice, they are seeing seven on seven more than they are seeing big boy football. And so if you're not running the football as a team and your defense is not going to see that in practice, so they're not used to tackling physical running backs. They're not used to taking on lead blocks because a lot of the rate air rate offenses is, is very, very horizontal and there's not a lot of North and South to it. Um, and so your defense actually suffers as much as anything. Not only are you one dimensional on offense, but you become very one dimensional on defense as to what you can actually stop. And so I do think USC being balanced and continuing to be balanced is going to be vital for them to have good defenses. But in terms of this year and what they have, um, they're obviously a little uh, lacking in terms of talent in the front seven. Uh, but I don't think necessarily 
you know, they, 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 the correlation, they played well in the games um, that they've run the ball well, uh, necessarily, just because of that Oregon State game, I think it does have a lot to do with if it's, if it's a little more of a one-dimensional team, then USC can, can focus in on that. And on the flip side, probably with Washington State, they were a bit more of a passing team. They'll, they'll prepare for that, and they'll be good at probably stopping that. Now, again, that takes us into this weekend against Utah because that is probably one of the more balanced teams that we've seen. Now, Utah is a little banged up. They've got some, some inexperienced running backs. You know, how does you, USC prepare for that? What are they looking at coming into that game? Do you play more towards the pass? Because that's what actually beat you in the first game was, was the pass. And you've got a, an experienced quarterback there, and you've got some banged up running backs. So perhaps you're actually coming into that game as opposed to the first game where you're like, we got to stop this run attack because this is what Utah is going to try to do. They're going to try to bully us, just like Notre Dame did. But I think with Utah, you had a better pass attack. The, the adjustment for Utah was better than the adjustment that Notre Dame could make. And we have another question. This one did not have a name, just the the usernames, uh, like the avatar name was more of Jesus. But since this is a Cilantro Boys podcast, I'm saying more of Jesus. Uh, question for two-star podcast. Is there a reason the top players from Bosco seem to always not pick USC? Mateo seems to be trending Ohio State in 2023. Woodyard is trending for Georgia in 2024. And they have lost screen to Georgia in 2020. To as well. Thanks. More of Jesus. Well, I actually asked uh, a Bosco coach about this uh, when I was at the game in terms of, you know, you know, USC fans say that Bosco is actually a UCLA school more than a Trojan school. And, you know, they kind of went back with, you know, well, they actually kind of had the same amount of players in the last couple of years or currently USC actually probably has more USC kids uh, more Bosco kids at USC than they do at UCLA, but UCLA is where they play more. And then they noted that they know that other kids going out of state, they're going to get developed more than they were at USC. And that's kind of been the big problem when USC has been recruiting some of those higher end guys like a, a green uh, that, you know, they want to go where they're going to get developed. And that has obviously been a huge issue when it comes to uh, USC in the past uh, coaching regime? I think for sure that's an overlooked thing that USC fans are, you know, kind of not taking into consideration that you had Clay Helton and a pretty last lackadaisical coaching staff or some of those coaching staffs were lackadaisical at certain positions in recruiting. And so it's sort of like, do you blame those players? for going elsewhere. Uh, now it hasn't happened maybe so much with modern day, but modern day in general, because it's in Orange County, that's a little more of USC territory. You have more alumni influence, whereas St. John Bosco is in LA County and the tradition over the years, you know, you don't have as many guys that have come out of St. John Bosco that have gone to USC either. So you don't have your Matt Leinerts or your Rod Perry's, et cetera. So I, I think both of those things come in, uh, to play really, I mean, UCLA is not even a question. It's more is it a, is it a, a Ohio State school? <laughs> because Ohio State's really had uh, more of the success at St. John Bosco with the upper echelon players than USC has, and that goes back to Wyatt Davis and, and some of those Court other Court Williams. Yeah, they've been able to bring out uh, a Bosco in recent years. But now that USC is winning, and you know, you you have to look at it more equally 
uh, going forward because USC actually has a product on the field that they can sell. There's development that they can sell. But I can tell you here, despite all of that, the answer to your question is that Chris Trevino has not bought Jason Negro a stake, and that is hurting USC recruiting. Oh, interesting, interesting. Look, I'm going to alleviate that this summer. I promise. I promise I will get it done. Oh, promises, promises, Mm. promises, promises. And at least, and at least, you know, buy your guy Terry Bullock a hot dog. I mean, you know. (laughs) A hot dog. Something, man. Throw the guy. Terry deserves more than a hot dog. Okay, well then, you know, I mean, hey, you got promises out there for Jason? Uh, Maybe some, some promises for Terry, too. I don't know. Are you saying his stake NIL deal? I've made promises I can't keep. I'm just saying that, uh, you know, USC fans are depending on it uh, recruiting wise. They know they're not going to get Mateo if you ain't buying stakes. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. I hear I, I'm, I'm reading between the lines on this one. Uh, this one comes from David. Hi, guys. What position or positions do you think do you expect Coach Lincoln Riley to have the most success at this offseason and adding from the transfer portal? And what guys who could turn pro after this year? do you think might surprisingly decide to return Uh, in terms of positions that comes from David and in terms of positions, I would say running back as Gerard noted in his uh, preview about why, you know, why wouldn't you want to be a running back and play in this office? And they've proven they can do that offensive line. Henson is uh, shown to be a very good developer of talent. You know, they're up for the Joe Moore award, you know, and what better person to block for than a Heisman winner, a potential Heisman winner, Caleb Williams next season. So, I think those are the two uh, biggest ones they can recruit well in. And then I would say, you know, defensive line, you're going to be able to, you know, throw on that Thule to Peloto tape and and sell that. Uh, so those would be the three for me. And then could turn pro that might decide to return. I mean, I think Austin, jo- Austin Jones would be a big one to return, but he's running so well right now. These last two games, if he keeps that trajectory, I do not expect him to return. But, you know, technically he could return and. You know, he would be considered the guy, uh, depending if they, you know, brought somebody in through the portal. Yeah, he's definitely like Solomon Bird, but the opposite in terms of trajectory, right? Like Solomon Bird, pretty good, like early midseason. You're like, okay, this guy's getting like a sack a game, a turnover a game. And now he's kind of faded a little more. He did have a sack. Uh, in the last game, he could be heating up. Maybe heats up for the last he this be last back up, man. He's 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 eyeballing that draft and that potential uh, contract. So uh, you know he's definitely got some motivation there. But Austin Jones, yeah, very similar. Kind of think he's gone, but I agree. You know, it's it, it's sort of um, there's there's potential there that he could come back. Um, Justin Dijes, we talked about before. That's a guy that could be potentially uh, a fence guy that we think comes back. Um, Tyrone Telene, I think, comes back, who's a senior technically, but um, I don't think he's a red shirt. And I think that uh, he's obviously got a COVID year, so I, I think he'll uh, be back. Raylan Goforth, I just don't think he's going to get drafted. I think he sort of has to come back unless he decides to transfer. So that's a possibility there where maybe they bring in Tackett Curtis, mid-year grad, uh, plays a bunch during the spring. My thought is that they move Eric Gentry to Will and they get Tackett working at Mike and they see how much Tackett can absorb of the mm-hmm. defense and the calls. And maybe he can do it, maybe he can't, but that may hinge on whether Raylan Goforth comes back or not. I think Shane Lee's probably more than likely gone, but Raylan Goforth, I think there's more questions there and he could potentially 
uh, come back. And um, that's that's really at a, that group of guys that are, I think, you know, you look at potentially could go um, just in terms of their seniority and their eligibility. Obviously, there's a bunch of names that we could throw out there with, the, you know, like the sophomore class and even like redshirt freshmen and guys that haven't played. But I don't want to do that. I mean, I don't want to float guys' names out there that, you know, may or may not be even thinking about transferring and then, you know, putting it out there like that's a possibility. For sure. Uh, we have one, two, two more questions, technically three, because we have a one and two parter. Uh, this one comes from, these come from Coach B. Uh, hey, gents, hoping everyone is excited for the transfer portal, op- transfer portal opening as, again, as I am. couple of questions. Gerard, you, you taught me we should go one by one. So first one, can we expect Riley to continue with the fight on emoji for transfer commits this season? I say absolutely, as much as it may drive Hurricane crazy. <laughs> I I guess I mean we've seen a lot of fight on emojis for not anything with recruiting so you know I but not I just did, by itself though those have been things with like emoji plus fight on or exclamation points or whatever but just by itself that's the true recruiting one yeah I think we still owed some even though I don't know yeah there's it, it's it's uh yeah it is what it is but I, I I'm sure yeah there'll be some in the future. <laughs> Might be some afterwards, though, because I think the last few have almost been after the fact, have they not? David Peavy was definitely after the fact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some have been, like, after the fact for sure. Um, And then number two, with the success of Bob H. this season, any chance we go back into the ACC O-line well? Is Kevin Pine, Boston College, on the radar, or is there something I don't know about him? And I found it hilarious when I first read this question to Gerard. He was like, who the heck is Bob H.? (laughs) Bobby Bear? Like, who do you know? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that would be one Bobby Haskins for those, but Bobby I might start. I might start calling him Bob H uh, from now on. Uh, we mentioned uh, Kevin Pine at the, uh, at the transfer portal. Uh, I think that's a guy. As Gerard mentioned, you know, you want a guy who's played. You don't really just want to like throw dart, uh, throw darts at the board. But he has, you know, tangibles. You know, six foot seven. You know, three hundred pounds. Was a four star at a high school. I would assume they're going to take a look at him, but haven't heard anything initially about him, you know, being high on that radar. There's still more to come in terms of offensive linemen, and you got to wait to strike. You got to strike fast and uh, strike hard when those guys come in. Yeah, Marius Mims could end up, you know, floating back out there. I don't know what he's done at Georgia, but some of these guys that end up in the porthole originally and then pull back in, we've seen them go back into the portal. So there's already sort of that uh, writing on the wall, even Xavier Worthy, if he ends up in the portal again, he was a guy that a lot of people talked about potentially being in the porthole last summer. So that's something. But anytime somebody says Bob, I don't know for what reason I just think of Bill O'Brien. Yeah, that's like the Bob Ackerman acronym that just resonates. So Bob H, I'm going Bill O'Brien H. What? What the heck? It just made no sense to me. Bob H, baby. Big starting left tackle, Bob H. Okay. And he had a little note at the end. Uh, been listening since episode one and can't get enough. Thank, thanks to both of you for making my commute the best part of my work day. Coach B, thank you very much. I uh, really appreciate that. Now, Gerard, this might be my favorite email uh, that I've gotten for this podcast. No offense to anyone who has, uh, uh, you know, submitted, but... This is this is great. I'm going. It ties back into something I wrote in my ghost notes for game day on against Notre Dame. Uh, so this comes from Roderick Moore Senior, 
And I'm going to read this email so you understand why I'm so hyped on it. Uh, but it starts with Gerard. Who fits the present scheme better, uh, Malachi Nelson or DJ Lagwhite? Now, before you get into that, Gerard, I just want to read the little addition for it. And for you, Chris, in the ghost notes, you mentioned making eye contact with a member of Roddy Rich's entourage. That was me, Roderick W. Moore Sr., his father, USC alum, donor, and season ticket holder. I have been a longtime member of uscfootball.com. I enjoy all of the website's content with this podcast recently becoming my favorite. Keep it coming, fellas. Thanks and fight on. And that is uh, incredible for me. And Gerard did not know who Roddy Rich is, so I'm just going to play his big hit. Please don't sue me. I uh, just wanted to play that very quickly on the podcast. (laughs) I I, I don't. Please don't sue me. Please don't sue me. I, I think you wanna... holding your phone up next to the microphone. I, I don't think that probably is going to come up as a copyright issue. I know, but I just want to protect <laughs> myself legally. I do not claim. I thought you were going to like literally interject a claim. No, 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 no. I'm just, I'm being. Production I'm being, quality. And... I'm being, oh, I'm being broke with it. I'm being broke with it. No, man. We're, we're just going off the, the little phone here, baby. We're just going off the phone, baby. That's all we got to do. But yeah, he's a uh, very, very popular uh, rapper. And awesome. uh, so he he his father knows who I am and that and he knows who you are and he knows about this podcast. So that is like uh, the greatest thing ever. So, Gerard, if you could kindly uh, for Roderick answer W. This man's question, answer this man's question, do it to the best of your abilities, because we're ending on this show. And he is the father of a well-known rapper. So please give him everything you got, Hurricane. Uh, yeah, I would say, you know, truth be told, Lagway. Just because of his mobility, I mean, it fits more with what Lincoln Riley has won with, what Lincoln Riley has used to win multiple Heisman trophies. You know, if we're talking about Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield and Jalen Hurts, those guys are all runners. You know, they can run. Uh, you know, Jalen Hurts is a big body, 6'3", 230, 235, when he left Alabama. Uh, Kyler Murray, you know, almost the opposite. He was this squirrely little 5'11" you know, 195 pound uh, baseball player, but he was incredibly athletic and could guy, I mean, just completely gash defenses with his speed. And so, you know, Lagway is definitely more of the runner. I think uh, with Malachi Nelson, you know, we went, I went on a bit of a rant, uh, maybe even a tirade where people were trying to compare him to Spencer Rattler. Spencer Rattler, by the way, had been pretty good here at the end of the season, just beat Clemson. Um, I don't, think that you know disposition wise or really even in terms of athleticism or the way they throw the ball I would make any kind of comparison in fact if I was going to make a comparison I would say that Malachi Nelson definitely reminds me more of Jaden Daniels than he does Spencer Rattler so uh, certainly a guy you can see in Lincoln Riley's offense and I think he'll be successful in Lincoln Riley's offense I think he does a lot of things nuance wise that are underappreciated uh, by people uh, but certainly just like from a, a straight up attribute standpoint, uh, the runners are always going to be the guy that I would say Lincoln needs to be first and foremost on because, I mean, clearly it's been such a big asset to have with Caleb Williams. And, you know, we've seen Caleb, you know, kind of running the, a little more and, and, and being more aggressive. And that just, it stresses the defense so much to have a guy you know, on third down, third and six, and, you know, you can run for 10 yards. And we saw that with Sam Darnold. 
this is not like a new thing. You know, Sam Darnold is really the first dual threat quarterback, if you want to call him that, uh, in, in modern day USC football history that just made so much of a difference where that offense, you know, it, it, it really wasn't that great. But Sam Darnold really helped get it to a Rose Bowl and win a Rose Bowl. And the only interesting thing is you saw that second year, Sam Darnold felt the, the, the need to still be that guy, a, an incredible playmaker. And I think he fumbled the ball like 22, 25 times or had 25 turnovers on his own, you know, counting interceptions where he was trying to play out of his mind. You know, he was he was really forcing it. And he had a bunch of turnovers in that 2017 season. They still got to the Sugar Bowl, but they weren't able to win and have quite the success that they had. And, and a lot of those teams were, you know, countering and they were adjusting to Sam Darnold, who they had not seen before. You know, Sam Darnold, that first year, 2016, comes in. And, you know, nobody had seen him on film before outside of San Clemente High School football, which, by the way, we saw him at San Clemente. And he really didn't run as much as he did uh, in, 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 high, in, in college, probably because he didn't have to <laughs> at USC. Uh, with that offense, you know, he had to, he had to kind of, uh, you know, make things happen on his own. Uh, but by the time you get in that redshirt sophomore year and people had a year of film on him, it changed a bit. It was a little harder for him to make those plays. And I think he forced it a little more. That's going to be what's interesting to see just this week against Utah, because this is the second time that Utah has seen Caleb Williams. So are they able to have more success shutting him down? Are they going to blitz certain tendencies? Are they going to feel like, okay, he wants to run and throw to this side of the field. This is what they want to do with their counter uh, tackle uh, plays in the run. And, 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 you know, I think the one thing that Lincoln Riley's high offense, offense has going for it is the fact that there is a lot of option off a good solid run game. You didn't have that very much with Clay Helton, even in the early years where they had some success, there was really not a lot of design runs by the quarterback. And uh, certainly as you get past Sam Darnold, you still see that sort of rush, uh, mesh read um, look out of the run game. And then you don't have quarterbacks that can run the ball, which is just, it always blew my mind. I mean, I said it a million times on various different podcasts. Uh, why is USC still getting this zone read look with their quarterback and just slowing the run game down when their quarterback is not a run a run threat whatsoever. Uh, you don't have that now. Now you have a run threat there. And, uh, you know, if you're going to key on Caitlin Williams running the football, then, you know, uh, Austin Jones is going to have himself a nice ball game. Uh, or they're going to go RPO and play action, and they're going to try to hit you uh, downfield. You know, you think that one potential part of the offense that hasn't been shown very much is the tight end position you know, downfield a little bit. We did get to see, once again, Lake McCree came back and played a little bit. You know, he's been sort of absent midseason here. Um, maybe, you know, he gets the ball a little more. There's going to be some adjustments by Utah, and, and they're going to go off of things that they've seen, and not only this year, but uh, they saw, you know, in person. So that's going to be interesting to see uh, as we move forward. But um, I do think both of those players, whether it's Malachi or DJ Lagway, they both can can definitely flourish in uh, Lincoln Riley's offense. But if you're just looking for the guy that's like, you know, the closest to what the formula has been, um, that's probably going to be Lagway just because he's a, he's a bit more physical and he runs uh, and, and can really do some things with his legs in the offense. I hope that was uh, to your liking. I hope that answered everything that you wanted to know. Uh, Papa Rich. Uh, I hope I can call you Papa Rich. Uh, I hope, 
I wonder if anyone else calls you Papa Rich. But thank you so much for the email. Thank you for everyone who submitted questions. And that wraps up that segment. Gerard, just a little bit of breaking news at the end here. Uh, USC commit Sam Green has locked in his official visit for December 16th. And Trent Dilfer is going to be the next head coach uh, UAB. Which news surprises you more? Uh, the latter, for sure. I mean, okay. we know that okay. December 16th, it's looking like what we thought might be the Notre Dame weekend in terms of official visits. You know, do we need to go back through there and talk about the difference between officials and unofficials? No, we don't. No, we don't. Okay. No, we don't. Right. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the latter uh, more so. December 19th. Does this mean he can't run the opening anymore? The Elite 11, you mean? Elite uh, 11, whatever. Same difference. Uh, yes. Yes. I think that's uh, pretty much uh, takes that off the table. Wow, so no more Trent Dilfer getting mad at uh, defensive seven-on-seven seven players playing too rough on the wide receivers. No more of that. Damn, that's that's unfortunate. That's unfortunate. Uh, and that did happen. He got mad at Raylan Goforth for being too physical at a seven-on-seven seven thing. So, yeah, uh, Trent Dilfer, uh, next UAB coach. Uh, we did not have UAB in the coaching carousel, so maybe they'll, maybe some UAB fans will be mad at us. But that wraps up the show. I believe we sent... We set a new uh, career long for this podcast. Uh, hopefully, this got you most of the way through Vegas. And I'll be in Utah. Sorry, not in Utah. I'll be in Vegas <laughs> for Utah. I don't know why I keep saying Utah. I, I was going to say, hey, hopefully it makes it uh, the trip uh, to Vegas and it doesn't make it all the way to Salt Lake City when you find out that the game is being played in Vegas. Right. The, uh, circle back to that to that uh, that bit at the start, start of the show. That's a great way to end this. Um, Gerard, anything else before we get out of here? No. Uh, we'll see you on the other side of the Pac-12 championship game and uh, at the mouth of the first window of the transfer portal. There we go. Um, I'm Chris. That's Gerard. This is Composite Two Star Recruits, and we will catch you next time. Did you get leopard so